episode 22 of the JP Talker Show is with the man of the myth, Jay Reeve. Uh, last night we recorded about two and a half hours um, while we consumed uh, a few beverages and we had a fantastic time, but Jay just told some amazing stories, including how, one, how Clark Gayford managed to pull uh, Jacinda Ardern. Uh, we heard some pretty cool stories about his trip to the World Cup, but also um, if you sort of listen throughout the story, there's a, a few themes that come through and uh, I think Jay... Uh, does have a little recipe to his, his success and his outlook on life uh, and some great takeaways there. We had an absolute uh, ball of a time. Please excuse the, the language. Um, I think you really enjoy this one. It, it's worth the, the two and a half hours. Uh, it just it continues to give. Please give it up for Jay Reeve. Welcome to the JP Talker Show. Not quite as nice as up those ways. How are you guys surviving the lockdown? You're obviously still uh, doing the doing the uh, show from from work. Yeah, show still out of the studio, which is mellow, which means that we we kind of prep at home a bit more than what we normally would, which yep. is all good. I'm down with that, and then uh, get in, knock it out, peel out. So there's only us and the Rumble that have our studio. And then Mike Garvey, yep. who does a night show yep. in Genoa, have their day studio, which is B studio. Yep. No one's allowed in. It's fucking full sanitized, wiped down before we um before when we get in and then when we leave. Do you uh do but, you yeah. do you take your own mic socks or mics and all that kind of jazz? You, yeah. Yep. Yep. Got our own pop socks, uh, own cans, own What's it? Yeah. What do you have, Tang? Hi, sweet. But. Sure. Um, yeah, take everything in, wipe everything down. It's just like, obviously our bubbles are, we've got, we just had a catch up in the, in our little, we live in a little weirdly gated, um, there's like nine houses on our driveway. Yep. And so we caught up with, Caught up with all the crew on the driveway, and they were fucking very different jobs. And it's in Hearn Bay, so they're all fucking wealthy and have different interests. It's kind of interesting to hear those different yeah. different aspects of the different communities. Like one of the chicks is uh, head of investment for Air New Zealand, so she's been getting screamed at by American investors, telling her she's a fucking bitch and yeah, that sort of shit. And then um, another one of the guys is like fucking big big dairy co-op guy building dairy factories for Fonterra and yeah. financial advisors and retirees. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting hearing how everyone's kind of getting through it and what they're doing to pivot and change. It's been pretty interesting. It's um, yeah. Look, I, I'm lucky enough. I'm an IT, right? So a lot of our stuff, well, our big projects and government departments and some other places sort of keep moving at some pace yeah. and velocity. So like, you know, we're, we're, we're still trucking and, and no one's had to go uh, take leave or, you know, pay cuts and stuff, which is pretty thankful for. But a few of my mates in construction, they're like, you know, 20, 30, one of my mates got 20 old guys right down tools, you know, and he's like, well, I've got three months. I can live for three months, keep everyone paid for three months if that, you know, if we don't get out. But I think it's pretty positive now. Hopefully in a week or two, they'll be back on the tools. Touch wood. So, yeah. yeah. And what, and what do you, and, and everyone's like, oh, you fucking, 
your dog can't you driving around in a you know like a, a mercedes ute or whatever you yeah. know like it's everyone looks at the boss and goes you've got it made it's like if you for if you had to live in my shoes for one week when it's good you'd hate it oh. let alone trying to be in them now like the consideration level is just as crazy. So I think the one thing that's come out of this is a probably appreciation for people. And it's all, I reckon it's all good shit. I've loved it. I fucking love it. I'd yeah. quite happily, if I could go surfing, if I could ride my bikes and hang out with my mates, I'd be fucking down with this way of living. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I think um, I'd love to be able to get out for a beer every now and then. Uh, yeah. Struggling a little bit with that, but I travel heaps too, so it is really nice being at home a little bit more and being a little bit more interactive. But um, going back to what you're saying just before, like my mate, um, he basically just pulled all his workers in and goes, "Look, it cost me 22k a week to pay all your wages, so I'm going to try to keep you all going." Um, and they're a lot more sort of understanding and supportive of of taking a bit of a wage cut just to just to hold their jobs. But um, yeah, man, those those fellas have some sleepless nights, so eh? that's for sure. I- yeah, and there's and there's no real like this, and this is talking to people like a, a good buddy. Oh, you probably even know the Trabucos, like a good solid mountain family. Like, are we recording now? Or are we just fucking yarning? Mate, I just hit, I just hit record. Oh, okay, well, sweet. I'm recording. Oh yeah, I'll probably I'll probably tape it a bit then. But yeah, there's different people that just in different sectors that make you go, oh, this is going to be this is going to chip on for quite some time, and I think that people need to kind of insure themselves for that a bit, eh? Yeah. Um, how, how do you think the mount will go? Or Taronga, the bay? Uh, I think the bay will be, I think the bay will be okay because in terms of construction, obviously it's massive for construction. Yep. Uh, I'd say that will slow down. I think there'll be a bit more realistic house pricing. I think there'll be even more interest now for people in, in major metros to get out like Auckland yep. to go. Do I want to be, if I can do my job somewhere else, do I want to do it here or do I want to do it somewhere else? Absolutely. So that will probably kind of maintain it a little bit. But for the most part, those, the crew at the Mount that I know bought houses 10 years ago when they're 250 grand and, 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 and then all of a sudden they've got million dollar houses. So they've got 800,000 in equity and they can pump it up. Yep. And so they've jumped into yep. these pretty massive, massive houses that are holding some pretty heavy debt with not a massive amount of income to service it. But I'd say they'll, Probably trucks. They just live like people do in the in the major metros. They just yeah. live a bit leaner and they and they do it properly. And their idea of fun is going to the beach and dusting tins with their mates yeah. as opposed to long lunching. And yeah, absolutely. I think it's a lifestyle. Uh, mm. It's it's. But then, I mean, that being said, there's it's a it's a port it's a port town as yeah. well. Um, there's a huge. Yeah, but even for even for the kiwi fruit pickers, like there's no. There's none of that PNG workforce or the Pacific Island yeah. workforce that would come in and do the queue fruit picking because you can't get them in and get them out. Uh, and so now there's people that are they've got a, they've got fruit that needs to come off. Yeah. Uh, and then once it comes off, where does it go? Can we now ship to China? I mean, there's truckloads of timber sitting on the wharf. My boy works in the port. He's like, there's no shortage of ships coming and going. Like it's going, but a whole a whole lot of it's been sort of hit and hope. Yeah, I was talking to guys at the at the at the, um, at the tool gig before. It all kind of went crazy. The same tool gig where the guy got the first case of COVID nineteen, um, and and they were saying that they're like filling car parks with reefer containers and filling them up because yeah. they just can't get them out. But whether or not that's the same, I don't know. I think regionally it's still going. If you're a farmer, you're like, 
business as usual. Supply chains still the same. Grocery still the same. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely rattled a few people. It's just for me personally, for me and my family, I've just gone. Fuck, is this what I want? Do yeah. I want to be living in a big city? What what is it that we actually want? And being able to sit down and and have that conversation and and pause for. Like obviously this would crush us economically, but if we were to have this every six months where we stopped everything and had to stay at home and address shit and talk about stuff yeah. and be a parent and be a husband or a partner or a wife or whatever it is, I think it would probably do us a world of good. I'll tell you what, you don't push the button quite as hard as you normally would because there's nowhere to go. You know, it's not like you're going to go to work for the day and come back and make up. You're like, oh, we're going to see each other a fair bit today. Yeah. So I'll back off this one. You can, you can have this one. I'll, I'll let you win. I think you're well, you going to take a bit more, don't you? I had this conversation with um, a couple of police mates of mine and I said to them, just out of curiosity, uh, what what's your call out rate like at the moment? Like, are you seeing a lot of alcohol? Because everyone's on this, like, everyone's, like house parties turned into you living above a pub that all your mates are at all the time. So yeah. it's hard to walk past and, and not have beers. And when you've got nothing to get up for in the morning and you yeah. can be hungover or you can steam piss all night or whatever it is, I was like, surely that must have seen an uptick in alcohol-related violence or, you know, problems within the community. Yeah, and 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 from what I can gather, it's on the decline. Like people aren't in town getting drunk, causing fights, um, untoward acts towards other people, or you know, like there's no drunk guy trying to pestily touch up some chick that's got no interest yeah. in him in a bar, or yeah. you know that sort of stuff has dramatically decreased. But he said that he and she, because I talked to a couple of them, were um, saying that they call it, what do they call it? Family harm or something is the new term for it. And it's people that have never had a run with the police, like no speeding tickets, no nothing, no history of anything. Yeah. And there are couples or families that have never spent this much time together in close quarters. And it's, there's just so many pressure points that are being pushed yeah. at the moment that, that's, that stuff can break down. And then it's, and it's not even like male versus female, which is traditionally how it is. It's, petulant teenagers going, oh, I'm going to go and see my mates and shoot some hoops. And they're like, you've got to stay home. They're like, fuck you. And then, you know, like teenage kids versus their parents that they're getting called out, you know, like that sort of stuff, which is kind of sad. But I guess, I guess the silver lining of that is that it's not alcohol fueled. And then when it's not alcohol fueled, it's pretty easily sorted because you're all clear headed and you understand where the problems are coming from. And Richie Hardcore does a great job of diffusing that sort of stuff and talking about how you can, you know, you know, when when it fires up, just tap out and just go. I'm going for a walk and get out of the house. Do a, do something physical. Go and do some press ups. Go for a trot. Whatever it is, then come back and sit down and have the conversation and just have it as a. We don't need to win. Like it's not a my point's better than your point. Yeah. Just have the conversation to see where each other are at. And for a lot of people, they've never had the chance to try and discuss these sort of feelings. Like, how do you talk about it? Because it's we can have a conversation because it's what we do. But a lot of people just don't talk and they put up with stuff or they just truck on through or forget about it or drink through it or yeah. whatever it is. But when you address them, I think you, you know, like you, as a family unit, you'll be better. But at the same time, that activity that you're doing will be seen by your kids and then mimicked later. Like even, even teachers going, the amount of kids that are on these classroom Zooms at the moment that have, after four weeks, come back with American accents. It's like, Jesus, you guys have been living in the States for the last week while. So, no, just shit parents. 
Harrison had a few. Uh, <laughs> he still says like candy, um, laundry, and like a couple other like real American things. Yeah. Eh? And people, oh, where do you get take that? the garbage out? Uh, yeah, 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 take the garbage out. Fucking gold. But you got, so I mean, if you, so you you're at least getting out of the house for a few hours a day, but otherwise you're you're prepping uh, with the fam back home and, and the twins. Yeah, it's good, man. We. Yep. We're doing, and it's it's even walking because I walk to and fro because I live so close to work. I walk, yeah. Um, walking to and fro from work, like it's on. I mean, he works on the corner of uh, College Hill, I guess the top of St Mary's Bay sort of thing. Yeah, three lamps, and there's all these amazing restaurants all around there. And so when I'm walking home, normally I can smell this food coming out of these restaurants and that. And then you go because of the affluent area that we live in. Not a lot of people are cooking at home. They just generally Uber eats it or. Yeah order out or go to dinners or whatever it is so now when i'm walking home don't smell any of those restaurants obviously because they're shut but people are cooking dinner for like three hours four hours and you can smell it like it's yeah. just it just feels so good that it's taken a global pandemic for people to go back to what's good it's me <laughs> well, yeah. i've really enjoyed it eh? it's I think um, I'll definitely. You've been smashing workouts though. Oh, I mean, you've been going. You've been going pretty hard on the workouts for a while. She's been. I've been going Instagram versus reality. Instagram versus reality, <laughs> mate. Bacon, <laughs> bacon buddies on the daily. A few kgs up, but I, um, oh, I'm a little bit fitter than I was probably going into it, which is good. But um, could be a bit of hard work required this week after. Um, mate, I had I had lofty Friday. hopes. I was going. Oh, I'm coming out of this looking like. Art green, and I reckon I went into it looking like Butterbean, and I'll come out looking like the Michelin Man. It's just not, it's not gone to plan. And I was already, like, oh, I'm going to get up and go for a trot this morning. I was like, I, I never get to sleep in, I never get to, you know, share those sleeping sort of things because yeah. I feel like I've got to parent the first half of the day more than my wife does because she has the boys for the second half of the day. Yeah. Whereas now I'm home, so she's like, I'll get up, I'll. Get you know, I'll go That's the early cool. shift and get the boys set, which is cool, which is a nice dynamic. I did. Um, who who chucked it out there? But the the pressure of people to think that they needed to go fucking get shredded, homeschool their kids, and all that kind of stuff. And he talked about, don't worry about it, man. This is a, probably a once in a lifetime event. You're gonna get four weeks to spend at home with your family. Make the most of it. Don't worry about trying to tick boxes and and do all that stuff make the most of the opportunity that you've got and worry about freaking getting shredded and homeschooling for 10 hours a day. It's not going to make a difference anyway in the long run. What you will remember is the memories and the time you spent together. And that's, and that's, I reckon that's the thing, man. If you've got kids and, and particularly if you've got young kids, it's just so, and even, and even older kids, you know, like if you, 80% of the time that you'll spend with your kids in their lifetime is between the ages of zero and 18. So my boys are six. So that means one third of that time is gone. And so when you put it into those sort of parameters, you go, fuck, it's not a lot of time left. Yeah. And so every second that you spend with them, you should be, you know, making count. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you should be sitting down and drilling them through maths. And, and I'm a teacher. Fuck, that's my background. So everything's a learning opportunity or a teachable moment as they call it. So when we go for a bike ride, I can see how far they can count by counting the power poles they ride past, yeah. or um, you can integrate uh, spelling into maths. But like I do these things on the stairs where I write different letters and place them on the steps, and then basically put in mathematical equations, simple like subtraction, addition, 
sort of equations which will then lead them up and down the stairs, which will give them numbers that they can then make into a sentence and then read that sentence to me. Like real simple stuff that's that's not sitting down and buy the book because you like teachers do an incredible job. They just can't do that and they can't cater to every right. single kid. Yep. But you don't want it to be it's not school. Yeah, and it could be, I mean, for it could be the new norm. Like this could be the way that you do it. You might touch base with your teachers in a Zoom meeting Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and the rest of the time you're at home. That would be awesome. Yeah, because kids all learn differently too. You know, like I, <clears throat> I battled big time at school with um, all sorts of all those ADD things and all that shit. Um, just master it with your physical <laughs> athletic ability. <laughs> Fuck, she's not much of an athletic or specimen at the moment. Holy hecka, but... Uh, just peaked early, bro. Peaked just early. peaked early, yeah. Got in and yeah. out. Managed to, like, just do enough to get to uni and then a bit enough. And But um, Harrison's a little bit me. He learns completely differently. He's not going to read out of a book. But those sorts of scenarios he talk about, he latches on to that kind of stuff. Eh? And if I... If I want to talk yeah. to him or teach him something about numbers, if I turn him to something about rugby or something else like that, like he's all over it. But throw him in front of a book and a, he's just like, no, nah, I'm not keen. So, yeah, well, it's just, that's, that's, I mean, I've got massive issues with with the parameters that our incredible teachers have to work with in terms of the education yeah. system. We've got a great education yeah. system, don't get me wrong, but I just think that it just doesn't do justice to A, the early childhood teachers, the, the, the work that they do is incredible, and then B, primary secondary mate i was a secondary school teacher and i've got great mates that are secondary school teachers and they do great jobs but, but once again they're teaching to the in terms of making yeah yeah those formative years are the ones that make a difference yeah and you and you always remember those those teachers that were epic for you and they're generally primary school teachers yeah there's other ones that actually make there's there's a guy we had this little the little um shed driveway sort of catch-ups and, this, and one of the, he's a young buck, incredibly intelligent bloke. He's an engineer student at um, Canterbury University. And he goes, I remember the day where I transitioned from having peanut butter sandwiches made for me to me being able to make a peanut butter sandwich. Cause all of a sudden I'm fucking Switzerland bitches. I'm good. I am self-sufficient. Right? And, and you forget, you forget how, because, I mean, that's the great thing about having kids is that you see everything again for the first time. Like, like I've watched my boys try a mushroom for the first time or try kinna or power or any of that sort of stuff. And you just go, this is, you're building the, you're, you know, front loading this machine that you've got, this little brain of yours. And you forget about the, the simplicity and the, and the beauty and the simplicity of all of those things. Like, yeah. I remember when my kids first sat on a motorbike and started a motorbike and rode with me on a motorbike and, I remember I was um, chatting with Kane Briscoe, um, Kane Briscoe farm fit, absolute roost. Uh, and, and he was, he had his kids sitting in his lap and he was driving around in this farm truck. And I remembered, obviously WorkSafe would have a fucking field day oh, yeah. with this now, but I remember when I was like four or five, maybe not even that old. And I'd drive the tractor. I knew I couldn't touch the pedals. I was that, I was that far away from the pedals driving the tractor and the old boy would be feeding silage out off the back on our farm. And he'd run across a slippery drawbar of this massive tractor trailer and gumboots, scramble over the seat, turn it around before he hit the fence and then point it back the other way of the paddock. And I was like, this That's is fucking good. living. <laughs> this is good, that, this um, is good shit. Was that at Tapuna Way? Where was that? Yeah, that's at the top of the Munda. Yeah. And so we went from the Taranaki 
the farm that we had in out of Rahudu, out yep. by Barrett's out Barrett yeah, Way. Yeah, yeah, it's close. So, uh, where we had we had one hill in our paddock. Uh, we had one paddock that had one hill in it, and then we went to Tapuna and we had oh fuck, man, we wouldn't have even had a footy field of flat. Yeah. And it was just, she was straight up and down. So it was, she was pretty hairy. Look, how old were you moved to the Uh 1990. So I was like six, seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did two, two years. Oh, I did. Yeah. Must have done. Yeah. Two years at Rahudu Primary, which I think is still going. Um, and then, and then punched up to, to Puna and then moved to the mountain when I was like 15, 16. Yep. Yep. Probably. Yeah. Do you probably think now it's a bit of a blessing to grow up not only in a farm but in Tapuna in those days when it's still pretty uh, not agricultural but it was a like a small town right like um, footy club probably um, great community yeah and even yeah. like and still so proud like that's still so Rahudu was my first club which is now the coastal club yeah. and then after they amalgamated and then when the, when we went to Tapuna like all those guys that I grew up like the Haywood Cookers and Aiden Cookers and yeah. Um, like all those, all those strong Tapuna families, for them to have a hundred years of rugby in Tapuna, and for them to take out prems, reserves, twenties, juniors, like just clean sweep the bay footy competition on their hundredth year jubilee was just like when was that full meltdown? Would have loved to, that was last year. Oh wow! Yeah, would have loved nice to have been at Marumatunga Park up on the bank yeah. with everyone tooting their horns, just parked up. I just think it's nice when the mount doesn't win it. <laughs> Mate, the mouth's been shit forever. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, they go good. They go good. They go good. The um, I do. I definitely do appreciate it. I mean, yeah. it's it's one of those things. We obviously we grew up in the same area and same era, and that's there was just that strong sense of strong sense of community, and it wasn't it wasn't the hustling bustling pisser that it is now. And so, I mean, that's still great. Like everything's got to progress, but yeah. mate, we had we had a great twilight cricket set up. Like I remember the old boy would just. Once again, probably not overly, not overly great, but he'd swing through the Tapuna Tavern, grab a slab of Rhinex and go and dust them up at Maramatanga Park playing twilight cricket with the boys. And then yeah. we'd have a, you know, like a raspberry lemonade and a punnet of hot chips and then, and then crawl back home after someone got the dick of the day and, and drunk out of a dick-shaped mug. And I was like, this is hilarious. As an eight-year-old, I was like, there's a dick-shaped mug. Classic. But all that stuff, like all the... I think it's definitely ramping up now because it's getting bigger. Yeah, and it hasn't lost, hasn't lost the essence of it yet. Right, and I hope it doesn't. But yeah, it's cool. Mate, one of those things that you've you've uh, you definitely pick up on these little isolation lockdowns is, fuck me, I'd love a bit of land. Oh, I'd love some. Oh yes. I'd love to be, I'd love to be riding dirt bikes and you know eeling and jumping off waterfalls and all the stuff. Yeah, all the stuff that I had as a kid that my kids don't have. Do you think you'll send your boys, well, ideally back to Tauranga boys for do high school there? Are you that passionate about it? I'd say not too, not too fast. Uh, I'd I'd like to be back there. I reckon that there's a high possibility that we've got the opportunity to move our entire radio show back there. Yeah, Dunk's pretty Dunk's pretty keen about being in the bay because it ticks a lot of boxes for him. It's closer to his wife's family. Um, obviously, he's got red. He's got real estate up here, but we could move back there. Petey Williams has cracked the door wide open, so he does his show out of there. Right. Apparently, Petey Williams rolls up in the morning in his golf cleats and a golf cart, knocks that his show out, and then goes plays the back nine at Odomata. Is awesome. Fuck, this guy. Yeah, so hopefully. That. Yeah, that's, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, yeah. and, and, and I think this 
this is kind of this is this is almost accelerated. I had this conversation too, which is probably not to, probably not a great one to be having in public, but. I think that there is a lot of there is a lot of value, and I had it with Brad, the boss. He's a, he's a very innovative thinker, and he's, he thinks really wide. And how can we be better? And what can we do to produce a better product in terms of our radio show? And and you're never going to get Hamish and Andy quality living in Auckland because we've got a team that works so hard behind the scenes to make our show look good, and they're on. I don't know. So I don't. I wouldn't even know what money they're on, but. It's not enough for them to sustain themselves as human beings in Auckland. Yeah, so if we were to move the show, for example, to the regions or say we moved it to Kaikoura and they could all buy a house for, say, a couple of hundred grand or, you know, yeah. Marcus Lush did it. He bought, he bought a house in Bluff with an FPOS card. Like, you can't tell me that. You can't tell me that that bloke who's on. Now, he would have been on probably half a buck when he got that, when he bought that house. Yeah. And... And you go, well, how far are you going to get ahead if you're not shelving, you know, a, you know, fifteen hundred bucks a week in rent, as opposed, to like, mate, fifteen hundred bucks a week. Like, he wouldn't have even paid that much money for his house. He would yeah. have paid. I mean, I reckon it was like twenty grand. Well, and you can set be, up a studio, and it can be yeah. condensed, and it can be, and it can be done, and it can be better. And and as a result of that, we can get some great people, and we can build them up. Because I don't think the luster of living in Auckland City still exists. Like. And especially being in the Bay or like, you know, you've been based in Wellington. Wellington's great and Auckland's great. And it's, and it offers a lot of things that the regions don't offer, but it's not far away. Like it's a 25 minute flight from Tauranga to Auckland. And it's a, it's a, it's an enjoyable, it's an enjoyable two hour drive, which yeah. most people do from Pocono in the morning to get to work. Yeah. I was just going to say old um, Daniel McCarty who's on radio sport. He would sit there and just have a um, do like a Skype with his producer it's in Auckland, um, and he did that for two or three years, no problems, and run a show out of Wellington with the producers in Auckland. It worked, worked pretty well. But yeah, he, he oh, and the Morning Pirates on Hauraki used to be one of the boys was in Hawke's Bay. Willie DeWitt was in the Auckland studio, and then um, what's his name? He's got the sexiest pipes in the business. Mark Perry, he's in his home studio in Mungify, and that was their show. And they did, and it was seamless. And that was, mate, that was before I started working at Hodaki. That was, it was almost 10 years ago. The old idea it's so much easier now. Yeah, with, with internet and everything, right? Well, even the voiceovers that I do now, I can link to any studio globally from my garage. And it is like my microphone's plugged into their desk, just through Source Connect, which was invented by a Kiwi chick. And it used to be hard. It used to be expensive having like a, a setup, but now like Source Connect Go, you could just, yeah, it's literally like I'm in the same room as you. And this, like Zoom, yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even the quality of these is getting a little bit better. I did uh, a few years ago when I started doing this, I was doing a few over Skype and it was it was so-so, you know, like it really mm. was a bit of a hard, hard listen. But now it's pretty good, man. Like you just got some AirPods on, right? I've got a big like a microphone here, but the quality will be fine. Mm. It'll be sweet. It'll be really easy to listen. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, even for, even out of our phones now. So we, when we go to a big event, like so we go to the sevens, we'll interview. All we do after that, mate, I'm not even going to lie to you. We do the whole show on our phone. No. So we record our breaks, recording the audio on our phone, bounce it to our producer. He cuts it, puts it in. And then when it goes through processing, it comes out and it's like brand fucking new. And that's the, but that's what I was saying before that the voiceover booth, me, yeah, great investment, pinched it, good stuff. 
but up until that was set up, because I bought it up before the lockdown and didn't set it up, um, before that was set up, I was doing a $110 USB mic into my laptop and recording into GarageBand in the upstairs room of our house with two pillows in the corner of a room. <laughs> and that was all I did. And that, yeah. mate, you've been hearing that shit for Vodafone on air, <laughs> like on every single TV and radio ad for the last month. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, I have a spin on And that's the difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, I was just going to actually ask you sort of back up a little bit, but yeah, you, you talked about your, um, your teaching at Taronga Boys and then you kind of went teaching and went, oh shit, did you end up on a surfing tour and then commentating it? And was that your sort of leap <laughs> out of, out of teaching? Uh, hang on, I'm going to have to grab a tin for this. Give me a couple of seconds of mobility and seeing if you can sit, sit down and stand up without using your hands. This guy reckons if you do that like 10 times a day, it's like a full body workout. No, like on the ground though. Oh, no. Nah, yeah, to the nah. ground. No, no, no. Mate, if you can't one... get out of a fucking chair without using your hands, you're fucked. <laughs> I actually just struggled. I just tried to do it. I was like, the, the big old rock forward, like the granddad rocking. Hey, here we go. Yeah. I reckon it's like every 10 years of your age, you'll make a noise when you had a hop up. So like now I'm in my thirties, it's like, ah, ah, ah. you get up. It depends what I've been doing. I played a, game, a couple of games of footy last year and uh, holy heck. It's like, you sort of have fond memories and think, yeah, you know, like how good it was and stuff. And just like, mm. some on boys are bigger, faster, stronger, you're older, fatter, slower, and you're not actually as good as you remember you were. <laughs> it was a rough, rough week. Mate, I have left, left myself in the era where I wasn't actually good, but over the last 20 years have convinced myself I was okay at code. And so I've got this memory of me basically like wall foot rot and like a dog's tail, like how he just thinks he's awesome, <laughs> but he's actually shit. Um, but I've just left myself there. So I don't want to break that. Like I'm quite, ha- I'd love to go back and play some code, but I just know that I'd shatter that. And, and because I've told my kids I was that good at code, like they'd be like, Dad, you're so shit. You told me that you're yeah. awesome and you're shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to, back to Tauranga Boys. But how I ended up at Tauranga Boys was um, uh, blew my shoulders to bits in my, I'd say, seven form, but it was my second year of sixth form at Tauranga Boys. And so bailed out of, we were meant to be going on tour to, I think it was like Argentina or Canada or. Right. One of those, one of those tours, one of those first 15 tours. And so I pulled, I pulled out and with the money bought um, a longboard. And so I started surfing and then was like, well, yep. I still, I'm still a competitive person. I want to compete. And just like footy wasn't that great, but just hungry for c- competition. Yep. And so I started doing the pro longboard tour, which went around New Zealand. And then Hyundai jumped on board as a sponsor and they needed somebody to commentate and create some links for, videos that they're doing to justify the sponsorship yep. the the um the, i tipped in and i tipped them big like the surfing community as a whole is not a wealthy community the competitive surfing community even less so and so i think if you would if you did the whole tour and you won every single event you probably still wouldn't have even covered costs yep. uh, and there was good prize money out for grabs as well and then there was a 3a or a 4a international competition and Mangamanu and Kaikota, which was, which would attract the big names. So, which is awesome. So I got to surf with my my heroes, but I I basically draw a heat with the longboard equivalency of like 
Taj Burroughs, Kelly Slater, and freaking <laughs> <laughs> Mick Fanning, and there's and there's me. I get to I just I just paid a thousand bucks to surf once and catch two waves. Um, they still so see when, you there, though. So that's the main thing. Yeah, I just sit there in the water, just watching them. Just go take my money. I don't care. Uh, and then I've started doing the commentary with a buddy of mine, Keg, and then we're being paid in Corona and sausages or line red and sausages, whatever it was. Or line red. Good draw. Um, oh, yeah. Just to mix it up in between the little pinkies, mate. Um, and we, the the girl Claire, who funnily enough has like got kids at my kids' primary school now, yeah. was from, B, from the BBC, had come out to New Zealand and was producing this. And then when MTV started, um, she was like, well, you should you should come and be the MTV presenter. We need, we need a dude. And at that stage, I was teaching at Tauranga Boys College, teaching hospitality and life skills, or cooking, if you will. Lovely. Um, and uh, was actually doing third form camps at uh, Bowentown. So basically just living on barbecued meat, uh, just punching durries in a caravan and just, uh, just, yeah, and just living in stubbies and grew a beard and just looked terrible. But I was 23, I think, at the time. So that was a dream scenario. And, um, and when the offer came up was at when I was on camp and I had uh, a couple of teachers that were with me. I think it might've been Marsh, who's possibly the head of PE at Tauranga Boys now. I don't know. He's a roost. Uh, Damien Galvin, who's Dean, absolute legend of a human. And then another guy, um, Daryl Goen, who's Sid Goen's nephew. And he's, he's, he is an incredible guy. And the boys were like, just have a crack. And I was younger than them by maybe, I don't know. Well, Marsh was one of my teachers when I was at school. And they said, what have you got to lose? Like, you want to go on an OE? The world's not going anywhere. So if, it's, if you don't like the job, then you can always piss off and go on an OE. And I was like, oh, because I was like, nah, 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 nah. And at that point, I was like, oh, I'll have a crack at it. And that was five years of traveling around the world on somebody else's credit card and what were you not sure seeing about the I don't know when you look back on it you go why would you not but was I think it, it was kind of like was it a confidence thing mate, they, uh, I, I've got a massive Jerome Kano talks about it in his book and it's that impersonation syndrome uh, yeah 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 where his his one was he's clearly a great footy player and I'm never going to compare myself to Jerome Kano just let me fucking clear that up right now because yeah. he's a legend he's he is a goat um, but he was saying that when he was sitting in the shed with those ABs, he looked around and saw people that he'd idolized and didn't feel like he deserved to be in the shed with them. Although he 100% did. Um, and I was like, oh, I've never done TV and I'm, I'm just, I'm not that guy. Like I'm not even traditionally for te- television, like everything about it. Like if you go, this is and for those people that don't know, this is how a TV face is this is how you have a face for TV? It's open. Your eyes aren't deep set in the back of your skull, and you have uh, movement in your mouth, and you can change expressions. And none of that shit I can do. Like my <laughs> mouth doesn't move. My eyes are like fucking Karen Reed's, and <laughs> love them, but they're buried. <laughs> so um, yeah. And and I look fifty when I'm actually twenty three. So it's like this is just not a good combo, and it just. It just ended up, you know, falling into place. And I was like, yeah. And then, and it went well. And then I could see that it was, I could see that there was a need to pivot because I wasn't, 
I mean, at this stage, I'm 27, 28. And it's as much as I loved and loved doing 10 years in a row at R and V, uh, it was probably time to, it's probably time to do something a bit different. <laughs> so I cross over, crossed over into radio, which is obviously you look at radio, Jesus, the most terrible looking bunch of humans you've ever fucking come across. Like, you can look like a bag of dicks and still have a career. Um, and was lucky enough to be linked up with um, Paul Flynn, who's just one of the greats. Like he's, he's a radio savant and, and still, still is one of the, one of the greats. Is he on more? Did, is, did, is he more now? What's he's he more FM now. With him? Yeah. He's a more FM driver, JJ. And they, and they yep. crush it. They go incredibly yep. well. Yep. I've got to um, ask, so, do, you, do you ever get some people just talk, come up to you and think that you're Jay Reeves, Jason Reeves, to start yarning? All the time, bro. 100%. And it's so funny because we, because Jason Reeves is the nicest, the nicest bloke. Like, yeah. oh, I just, you just have no idea how nice that guy is. Like, he is just the kindest. Yeah. He's just the, he's the sweetest bloke and he'd get stuff sent to him that would be put in my like locker. And I was like, I love you, mate, but fuck, I'm taking this. And I just rinse him absolutely dry. Because he was on a bigger show. I think he was on what he was doing, classic hits or whatever it was at the time. Yeah. But yeah, all the t- and, and people, the other one was people were like, are you JJ from The Edge? It's like, <laughs> JJ, JJ's a chick. It's a lot of different personalities that take on the world, yeah. Just, yeah, that's just fucking weird. But... Um, yeah, often we'd be mistaken for him. And then when I was doing MTV, I'd have people mistaking me for Clark Gayford. Uh, so yeah. like, oh, you're Clark, you're Clark, yeah. you're Clark of C4, right? And I was like, yeah. I am. You're a cock. Go buy me a drink. And so the next time they'd see their mates, I'd be like, man, I met Clark from C4. He's an asshole. <laughs> Just tell me to go fuck myself and want me to go buy him some piss. <laughs> Do you reckon they'll make a documentary on him about 20 years and talk about like the loosest first man New Zealand's ever seen? Mate, I was just, I was literally just before jumping on this, having a conversation with him. And it was more of a, um, more of like an appreciation for, because I've known him for forever. Yeah. And I mean, he, and those that know him know, know him well, and he's a great bloke. He's a, he's a very incredibly diverse character. He was a great, he was a great broadcaster. He was a great yep. presenter. Um, and fuck me, can that man party. Uh, and so when, do you know the story? And this is maybe talking out of school, but it's still quite funny. You know well, how he met Jacinda? No. Do you, do you know how he met Jacinda? Yeah, can oh, we talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> roll ah, on, it. roll on. Take. <laughs> okay. So, so he's, he's a prolific letter writer cause he's a great linguist. And yeah. so he, he, um, he had, uh, he had this kid, when they're living in Greyland, there's, they're backing onto Greyland park. Yeah. And there's this kid that would, I think it was the trumpet. Every morning this kid would walk to school and practice his trumpet trumpet in the park behind their house. It's painful. Public property. So you can do whatever. And so Clark was like, fuck this guy. And so probably told him repeatedly to piss off, but the kid kept playing there. And so he wrote a letter to whoever was, whoever was the, the MP for, um, for uh it was Why national at the time it was like nikki k or something yeah. i don't know fuck whoever it was yeah it was like you need to do something about this kid because it's it falls outside of um noise control at yeah. 10 30 in the morning or whatever yeah. it is or whatever time is going so, so this is out this is outrageous 
you need to brush this kid. And they never got back to him. So he's like, I'm going to go with the opposition. Labour, MP. Who's <laughs> Jacinda Ardern? All right, Jacinda, hey, you don't know me. This little fucker's playing his trumpet at the end of my, <laughs> end of my section in Greyland Park. You need to get on this guy and sort it out. And if you do, well, you know, we can become friends. And from that, they met up, met up, had a date, and here we are. No shit. <clears throat> yeah. So he is in the position that he's in because he complained about a kid playing an instrument at the bottom of his section. Would you say? But he was. I was. I was saying to him. I was saying to him. Like, oh, I appreciate him as a bloke. He's a good man. Um, and I was saying to him, just thanks for sharing. Like, it can't be hard. I mean, it can. It must be hard to have a partner that is so much to so many. Oh, and yeah. if you t- like, you you you're. You know, you're in the heavily in the mixer with the ABs, which would probably be our biggest level celebrity. But there are still people that the ABs will walk past and they won't recognise them. You know, they're not in the footy, whatever. There is not a single person in New Zealand that Jacinda Ardern can walk past that won't know who she is or want a piece of her time or give her some advice or critique her on something that's happened. And that, and for Clark, because he's always been the like the hardest thing for him is to shut his mouth. And now they've got Neve. And Neve's sharing her mum with a mother to four and a half million people that are in a global pandemic. And so, and she's an incredible mum. Like Jacinda's an incredible mother. But it just, it doesn't change the fact that your tear, like, and you know, we're fathers. If we were to be doing the job she's doing, A, we wouldn't be doing it anywhere near as good, but B, beat that time away from our family, for whatever reason, there's almost a slight disconnect as a father because I've got to get the job done. But Jacinda's a mother first, and she is our prime minister second. And that, whereas the father role would be, well, I'm the prime minister and I'm a father second. You look at the John Key model, you know? And and so for, for Clark, he was saying that he'd love to be chilling at their place with a garden and and all this other stuff the best part too and I'll get to that but he goes Prem House is pretty mega because Neve can run a mark imagine imagine just imagine being the Prime Minister and telling everyone that they can't go outside and enjoy the outdoors and then being in a relationship with fucking Clark Gayford who cannot sit inside for more than 10 minutes so on top of every single press release will be a text from your partner saying babe can I go fishing yet? Can I go spearfishing? Like, can I, can I have a raid upon the that house? that in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just, can I get the Shapies boys and just to bust out some, like, <laughs> I mean, I like, and then I'm, she's so, I mean, I, regardless of your political affiliation, she has done such an incredible job Absolutely. in terms of how she has fronted this and how she's, you know, dragged this country through it. And testament, like on a global scale, she's held up as one of the best. And, and, she's, and that's because she's a great person. That's not because of the policies in place, yeah. but that's because of her as a person, I think. Do you think you could um, maybe just text Clark back and just say, hey, bro, chances maybe level three next week? Oh, mate, he'll, he'll be pesting her more than anyone. <laughs> like, he's like, land-based fishing? Come on, babe. Does that mean if I hop off the rocks in my wetsuit and fins that I'm land-based because I haven't gone on a boat? Like, he'll yeah. be punishing her yeah. for that shit. I just, I've never met him, but I've been in lots of situations where people start off, oh, I've got the best story. So this night we're doing this, and then, and then Clark Gayford's name would come into a story. And they're always good, hilarious stories, not, nothing bad at all, but just one of those like legendary Kiwi icons who then marries the Prime Minister of New Zealand, which is quite a story Mate. in itself, right? Like, well, that's the thing. He hasn't, he hasn't even 
propose to her. So all the boys are going, rightio, um, I'm at home with my missus and she's complaining that she has to clean the toilet and then make dinner. So like, here's Jacinda Ardern, who's been a mum. She's probably doing all the shit you're doing, plus stopping a global pandemic from destroying our entire country. And she hasn't even cracked the shits at anyone. So um, the boys are going, oh, if Clark, if you don't buckle a knee, mate, I'll be diving in and, and ask, I'll try and cut you lunch and just propose to her on the, on the fly. She, she just has got that radiating personality. And like you say, whether she's red or blue or whatever, like it doesn't really matter. She just comes across as that, mm. you know, and um, God help him. Simon Bridges, probably a really nice guy, but you just, when you're up against Jacinda, who's, dealt with what she's you know the, the shootings and all sorts of freaking tragedies you know she just comes out yeah that's yeah. a massive it's like if you yeah. were to, if you look at her term yeah. she's had um natural disasters in terms of like the white island volcano she's had a terrorist attack right. and now a global pandemic yeah. whilst whilst having a child yeah. uh, it's just a massive hold my beer moment like just yeah. we're good and then if, even because we've had this conversation with the lads of you could go back. Like I'm not even saying go back in current times and see who would be better. Like who, who would handle this better? I'd go back in the history of New Zealand in terms of our leadership and in terms of um, the, part, the party that's in and the party that's opposing and say out of all those people, like I wouldn't take a single person out of them. Like not even Helen Clark, but she's UN. Well, yeah, I was going to go to Helen Clark. It's because it's the ability of Jacinda to show empathy in her emotions. So she could be standing there miming words and you'd feel the empathy and the care from, you know, from her face and her body language. It was poor old Helen Clark, you know, the heart's in the right place. We probably just didn't have that ability, right? Mm. Can you imagine, that's a good question. Can you imagine like Muldoon or someone like that? You'd be like, nah, fuck you. Oh. Everyone just stay working. We're fucking working through. Like, it'd be savage. Winston Peters, he'd be like, right. Reckon we're cancelling all the sport, but we're just going to go freaking dog racing, horse racing, twenty four seven. It'll be insane. Wineries stay open, bars. Things <laughs> reduced. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any winery yeah. that I've got a financial interest in, um, we'll keep the going. It's just dropping, dropping some sort of heavy racism about the uh, the country that this originated in, and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, no, nah, it just wouldn't happen. She's a ledge, and I think I think the thing that she's been trying to impress upon people the most is that. If, if you think of it as a we as opposed to me, like it's not, it's not, oh, I could never catch it. It's you may have it and pass it on. And that's the, if you get into that mentality, I think that as a country in general, like even the way that people were um, dealing with each other and the appreciation for the person that's packing your groceries and putting that shit on the shelves for you. And yeah. they got to pay, they got to pay rise. Like people who work in supermarkets got to pay rise. Yeah. Thank fuck. You know, and like tr- truck drivers and farmers and essential services and all of those people that you go, when it when it hits the fan, like who do we need? And this is the this is the core. This is what keeps us ticking. We've the whole country's been shut down for a month, and the same people that you would have even had the time of day for, sort of you know, thirty days ago, are now people that are that are holding your life together. So hopefully when we can, when we come out of this, that you actually go, well, there's a, there's an appreciation for community and there's an appreciation for people when, and that no one's better than anyone else because you might be a top level 
financial investor, advisor, whatever it is, but you don't mean shit in this scenario. The person that's packing your groceries on minimum wage at the moment that leaves their family and has isolated themselves so that you can still eat has more value in the community than you. The, the nurse one, I was talking to a friend the other day and his wife's a nurse and he's like, Fuck, you, don't, you don't sign up to work through pandemics and you know, you, you sign up to be a nurse to help people and unfortunately you, you don't really have a choice. You've got to go to work and just hope that you don't get it. And mm. um, the, the stress of, of coming home to family and stuff and going, you know, like you say, because you don't even know whether you got it for two weeks. So, um, and, and to be paid like 50 grand a year to do that, it's just like, Jesus, you know? Yeah. It's, well, I've always had this, I've always had a, I don't know, obviously I'm in, a, I'm in an incredibly lucky position because I just talk between songs. Uh, and so it's not a massive skill set that I've got. Wow, it's the, pretty hard. Uh, wow, it's debatable. But there's a massive, for the healthcare workers and for those people, like you said, the nurses that put in all these hard yards, it's the early childhood. It's like the, basically the beginning of your life and the end of your life. Yeah. And those people that look after us at the beginning of our lives and those people that look after us at the end of our lives, for whatever reason, get paid the least. and are not supported to the level in which they should be supported. And the appreciation that they get, like even our boys are in Niku and you go, a Niku nurse loves your kid as much as you do. And they've never known you or them. A special and then you leave yeah. and then it rolls over again. Yeah. And when you're absolutely f- drained, they're doing the same shifts as you are as a parent. Yep. Like they're 12 hour shifts and it's high stress the whole time. Like it's, it's a massively hectic setup. But the other thing that was, the other thing I was going to say that's been slightly shitting me about this and probably not allowed to say it because of media restrictions or whatever it is. I was just talking to a doctor and that the one down in, I think it was Christchurch, that cluster of, retirement village sort of patients like that was pretty much like i'm not saying because obviously i don't want to be disrespectful but that's palliative care basically where that kind of kicked off and for it to be clustered obviously it's terrible and it's, but there's people who have lost lives as a as a result of that but the amount of the amount of covid cases that are being reported as okay, okay now we've had this today we've had 17 deaths as a result of covid19 is it because it's COVID-19 or is it because that person has 50 underlying health issues is 97 and has finally popped their fucking clogs? Because if you look at, and this is me not trying to be conspiracy theorist, but if you look at traditionally the numbers of deaths per population year on year, we're not blown out. Like we're not exceeding. In fact, I think we're under. So that when, when the media says we've had this many deaths as a, as a result of COVID-19, it's kind of like, well, if you were to do the same testing for cancer, you could say that we've had 10 deaths today and all of those are a result of cancer because you could, if you tested the entire population for cancer, probably three quarters of us have got oh, it. Yeah, we're fine. And, it wouldn't, it, and it's not like a massive uptick all of a sudden. It's just you've tested for it and it's there. Well, I mean, that's why... It's, it's one why, of those things. That's why Italy and America, the, the death rate's so high because obesity is like freaking outrageous, especially in New York. So they're attributing mm. the high death rate in New York to obesity. The same with Italy. They've got the oldest population in the world. And what do grandparents do? They live with their families and their younger kids. So I think the average number in one household is like six or seven family members. So it was like a mm. clusterfuck mm. waiting to happen, right? Like, and we're just lucky that we 
we're, we're, we're dense, but not as dense as some of these other populations. And I know our death rate's not good in that, but there are reasons why I well, personally think it's not as high as some of the other, other places. That we do have a vast, bigger border, you know, we're miles away from everyone, which helps, but we do have a little bit more space between each other. And we're a younger... Yeah, I, we're I, really, yeah. I reckon there's... Um, I was saying to... Um, Saying today to this um, this doctor buddy of ours, when we were kids in Taranaki, if someone in our area got mumps, measles, or chickenpox, they'd have a party, and all the kids would come <laughs> yeah, around so that they could get that's it. Old school. Like how, that's, that's, man, that is old school. But it, that's yeah. that's building herd immunity, and I'm not saying that yeah. that's the case now, yeah. and that we should do it. But I think there's a certain amount of, I don't know. I can blind hysteria and the fact that everyone wants to, t- I mean, everyone wants to be a part of it yeah. and say that, you know, this is, we're crushing the numbers. Well, what, what are the numbers? Like what is, what is the test and what is the, what is the natural mortality rate of, of New Zealanders? I guarantee the death toll is down because no one's fucking driving. So a month off the roads, that's going to save us Easter, at least 15 no, to 20 people. First time since 19. Yeah, for the first. What the fuck? That's just yeah. nuts. That's mind blowing. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's and that sort of stuff, and then I don't know it, it kind of it all kind of spirals out. I'm all about it. I'm all about the social distancing. I'm all about playing my part, and I'm all about doing what we need to do to make sure that this happens. And even this doctor was saying this is something that we can literally eradicate. Like we can 100% stomp out of our country if our border controls are kept yep. to the level in which they're kept. But if you want to travel, you will be looking at two weeks quarantine coming back, and this is probably in even 12 months time. And this is talking to one of the, the key investors for, um, in New Zealand. Like, mate, they're, f- they're fucking st- like laying off people left, right and centre. They're not flying anywhere. Yeah. It's, we're not, nothing's going out and nothing's coming in for quite some time. Was there any chat about them, probably getting a bit off topic, going to just a regional airline? I've seen that thrown around. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, well, they, it, it comes down to, because the, the missus, Anna's father was a 777 captain and then yep. went to Airbus once he turned 65. Um, and they like for a lot of our airports, they just don't have the capacity to land that shit. Like, yeah. like yeah, if you yeah. even yeah. even flying into Queensland's ugly, yeah. Queensland. But I think they're definitely going to ramp up. They're going to ramp up their um, domestics, and they'll be. Yeah. We bought flights to Queensland for a hundred bucks, and worst case scenario, they don't go through. We get accredited. Yeah. So that's in July the family so we'll go down and we'll get amongst it but i think it's a great time to go regional like i was gonna say I'd love you to spend time and wide it upper. hey oh mate that's the and that yeah well they're, they're doing it they're doing it tough but i think it's a great chance to spread regionally and see all the cool shit like if if you're a new zealander and these and these are the places i've never been to fjordland i've never been up to um farewell spit i've never been through wide it upper oh um, never been to wide it upper Manabar? Nah, and I've never and I've never done um, the Catlins. Yeah, I've done the but Catlins. but apart from that, I've pretty much been everywhere. Yeah, and now is a chance for and if you go to people, if you if you have that conversation with people and you go been to Cape Ring, been to um, Bay of Islands, have you spent time on you know West East Coast wherever it is? A lot of people would be like, oh nah. But I've been to the Gold Coast a bunch of times. <laughs> fucking how good's the Gold Coast? Bro. You been to Cooter? Yeah. You been to Cooter? Oh man! I love me the triple. I love me the yeah. I love me the triple park pass and the Goldie <laughs> and fucking line me up with some bin tanks in the pool at the at the fucking at the, at the Bali Dynasty. 
Like, what was sliding? Yeah, I, think that, I, I haven't done the West Coast. Have you ever done, been to West Coast? Yeah, only from where we chopped through because we rode. So I obviously ride in bikes. I've ridden yep. as much as I can through the country. And then we go down to Burt Munro. And yep. so for Burt Munro, we hit it a week after the, uh, the big earthquake that fucked Dakota. So shut yep. up that state highway one. And so we went through uh, St. Auburn and, and then popped out and then rode down the West Coast. But how many north will you pop out from there? So like yep. Westport and, and then even down into Hokie and, and then to, and, and ducking in there. Good roads to but ride. Yeah. Oh, epic. Yeah, it was main. Oh, the road when we rode it was pretty fucked because obviously all the truck traffic had been diverted and went through there. So it was pretty, pretty lumpy. Yeah. Not as bad as the East Coast though. East Coast is hammered. Like logging ripouts, they just absolutely yeah. tore that road to bits. Have you always rode, ridden motorbikes? So how, how did the Harley Davidson thing come about? Is that just part of one of your passions? Yeah, so I, um, I've always been keen. I remember when we came to Auckland one time as a family and we got, a, we got passed by a club like it would have been, I don't know, the Angels or whatever. And I remember hearing them from ages away in the car and they ripped past me and I was like, fuck, oh that's cool. Like yeah. just the sound and the pack riding and I just loved it. And then moved to Auckland, uh, had sweet drives and, and obviously a motorcycle back in the 80s was like the primary motor transport for most people yeah. and Japanese imports came in and they changed the cars. And so there's a lot of people that had motorcycle licenses. My dad's always ridden bikes, not road bikes, but obviously being on a farm. And so I learned to ride on a farm, riding ag bikes. And so bought my first Harley. And then basically you just, it's one of those things you just find crew that are into the same stuff yeah. and had some great mates and have taught me a lot of stuff and just passions built and built and built and built. And then they had like a media ride with Harley Australia and they came over and I was riding this, I think I had like a soft tail Springer that was kind of like had these rabbit handlebars on it. It was like pulled back and I was riding an open face helmet and big king and queen seat with a big sissy bar on the back. And I had like a hot rod front tire as my rear wheel. And it was just a, of anarchy. Oh, it was a fucking cool bike, but it was like shit. Hard to ride. Um, and it was just my cup of tea. And they said, well, how are you even riding that thing? would you be interested in, in being a Harley ambassador? And I was like, well, what's involved? And they're like, well, we'll give you a, you know, give you a bike every year and you come on these rides with us. And it means that wherever you go in the world, you get to jump on bikes and, oh. and all this, you know, we hook you up with all this different, all this, it's a great company. And it's the, it is the pinnacle. Like it is, in terms of motorcycling for me, it is the pinnacle. I love the, love the company, love the people. Um, and I was like, uh, I don't really like any new bikes. What are you talking about? And they're like, well, well nothing's, nothing's really, I mean, tackles my fancy. You don't have anything like what I've got. And they're like, well, that's because that's shit. And what we make is fucking awesome. And then the bloke that I was dealing with at the time, Nigel goes, well, here's a bike that's coming out and it's the Lowrider S and it's an 80s styled FXR bike. And if you're into Harleys, you kind of get it. It's got gold mag rims and it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but if you're into that sort of stuff, you'll like it. And I saw it and I was like, I fucking love it. Sign me up. And they're like, sweet as, give us your license details. When these bikes come out, we'll hook you up. And I was like, oh. fucking license details, mate. I don't have a license. And like, you told us you've been riding for, t- <laughs> you told us you've been riding for 10 I'm years. Puna, I, like, bro. Yeah, I, have, I have, I have been riding for 10 years. I just don't have a license. And they're like, oh fuck. So then they put me through the license process, put me on a lambs approved bike, which was when the street 500 came out. And then, yeah, you know, rode a Street 500 from Auckland to Invercargill. 
and then now is that this a is this is this is uh, five hundred. And now that is the bike that they sold me. Yeah. This is the Lowrider S. That looks and then comfy. that silver one's the new one. Jesus. So yeah, it's um. I'm what the luckiest bloke I know. What does the wife say? Loves it. I loved it pre-kids, not so much post-kids, because yep. we can operate as a as a one-parent household, not a no-parent household. Yep. Uh, I'm acceptable losses. The boys love the bikes. They fucking yeah. froth them, so that's terrified her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we used to we used to ride heaps together. She's cool around town. Doesn't like going open road, which is sweet. <laughs> like I don't mind. Like <laughs> don't mind getting away with the boys. Have you have you had a close call? Have you had? Have you come off? Thousands. Oh yeah. They haven't come off. Yeah. But um yeah, but it's they did this thing ACC because I was because we pay massive amounts of registration um for motorcycles. So I've got yeah I've got three. I've got two Harleys and a and an old Triumph. And it just, it's fucking mind boggling. Like people have no idea. Like it costs 80 bucks to register a car for a year. It costs $380 to register a bike. Um, and people go, well, you got a bike. So you ride it. And I went in on Dave Kilty, who's the head of um, ACC, who's a legend based in Wellington, absolute roost. And I said to him, you are a thieving motherfucker. Why are you ripping us off? Cause you ride a bike. Why are you fucking the rest of us? And he goes, you ask me any question, I'll give you the answer to it. And I was like, why do I pay so much? And he goes, because the cost of the cost to the taxpayer for motorcycle riders is $14 million a year. Rehab. And registration costs um, for, for motorcycles comes up to four. So we're 10 mil short just on what's happening. And I said, well... How many of those accidents are guys on farm bikes and motocross bikes and road bikes quads. and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, quads, quads, all that sort of stuff. And he goes, this is just accidents on roads. So farm bikes, completely yep. separate. Motocross bikes, completely separate. Mountain bikes, completely separate. Middle-aged men and Lycra on road bikes, I still have a huge fucking issue with because they don't pay a cent to be on our roads. They Not a dicks. fucking cent. Sorry to but, my mates that ride road bikes, but you guys are dicks. I'm all about it, but just pay. You want to use the space, pay for it, because we pay a shit ton. Uh, and the same problem, they'll get cut off and pinched by cars. And there's generally speaking, not that high percentage of accidents that, that happen, that it's the motorist's fault as opposed to the motorcyclist. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, when I ride, I think everyone's going to kill me. So I, I'm anticipating people like it may, everyone should ride a bike to make them a better driver because you just look for shit and you realize that your mirrors are in a vehicle for a reason and you anticipate what people are going to do. Um, but the reality is, is that 70% of accidents that happen on motorcycles uh, without another vehicle involved at all and purely rider error. So it's hard to debate yeah. why we're paying so much when everyone's doing such a shit job. So how do you counteract that? Well, you get better at fucking riding. And the only way to get better at riding is not following your mates who are also shit at riding and have ridden for 50 years. Like we had this um, Ride Forever conferences and it was I'd stand up in front of these like 50, 60-year-old dudes and go, how many of you guys have done rider training? And they're like, God, I need to fucking learn how to ride. I've been riding for 60 years. I was like, okay. you've been riding shit for 60 years, and you're lucky you're still alive. So you, you don't know your shit until someone tells you your shit. 
So the Ride Forever program is something that's been pretty awesome and I'm a massive advocate for it. And as a result of that, it's changed the way that I ride. And as a, hopefully as a result of that, I'm kind of keeping, my, keeping myself out of harm's way. Is that like it's the, not a matter of if, it's when. Is that like the defensive driving course, but for motorbikes? Is that similar sort of thing? Look, oh, similar, but def- defensive driving is just, it'd be the equivalent to being in a car would be uh, doing a rally, rally track day, a, uh, yeah, okay. a racing track day, yeah. and then defensive braking day. Like, that's what Ride Forever is like. Yeah. You get to learn the lines better. You get to learn how to get yourself out of trouble if you get into trouble because most people just bail. And if you look at the statistically who gets hammered, it's people aged between 45 and 65 on a Sunday afternoon between the hours of 12 and 4. That's the highest accident per capita. And the bikes they're on are cruisers. And that's not saying they're on Harley-Davidson's. It's saying that they may have been their missus having a midlife crisis. I used to ride bikes. I've got enough money yeah. for it and yep. buy something big and powerful and fuck themselves. And they're riding in open face helmets with fingerless gloves and a leather jerkin. And it's like, like all right, mate, you want to throw yourself down the road? At a... yeah. Oh, mate, this, this one Charles here is Ninja. My, my low ride is an 1800. And yeah. that's, that's a shit. It doesn't fuck ride. around. No, I've, I've, I, yeah, I've, I've seen uh, this fella used to work with, he had a, Kawasaki Ninja, and uh, which you could get on a learner's license, having never ridden before. Really? And it's a two-stroke power band bicycle. Yeah. Well, he had a similar thing. He'd ridden as a younger kid. Um, went out and bought this freaking ridiculous thing. You know, zero to hundred and two and a half seconds or whatever. I think he had it for three mm. weeks, and he said, oh, "I nearly died every day. I rode it. He goes, couldn't help myself, and got rid of it when he got a car." Yeah. I said, fuck, it was the best three weeks of my life. He loved it, but he just, he, he just was, he goes, I'm an animal. Oh, I can't be trusted. Can't be trusted. Yeah, same. That's why I don't, that's why I don't ride Ducatis. Like I've got a buddy of mine that's got Panigales and yeah. they don't feel good until you're riding 160 Ks. Like they don't actually feel like you're riding until you're doing 160. Yeah. And that would mean that I die. Like I'm, I'm 110 kilos pushing down on my wrists, parked up over the top of this thing. Yeah. And it just feels shit. Whereas on a Harley, that's a fucking tractor that's just awesome to ride. Like it's loud and it's does a speed limit and it's got power when you need it. And it's just how I prefer to get around. I just love the brand. I did a hundred, hundred years of Harley Davidson in Canada. I did a documentary for discovery channel where we oh. rode through Canada. It was fucking epic. So yeah, much fun. Good watch. Is that a, is that uh, viewable on any platform? Yeah, if you um, if you search Common Ground Harley Davidson, yep. there was three international riders uh, partnered with three Canadian riders. Yeah, and that was um, uh, they did the Rockies. I did basically from Toronto to Riviere de Loup, which is at the top of the New Brunswick border. So I went through. Uh, basically, ended up in French Quebec. We basically went through Quebec and up to the, up to the top. It was cool, man. It was real fun. Rode with a real rad Quebecois guy called Charles Edouard. Yeah, not cool. So cool. It was epic. Hell time. Welcome back. Welcome back. Well, what do you think about? And you'd probably know because you're in the in the loop. But we're talking about this uh, island of origin, north versus south. <laughs> what do you reckon? Are you are you a fan of the idea or not so much? 
You mean for footy? Yeah, for Union. Because obviously we're not going to be travelling. Yeah. And everyone still wants a piece. I can... Well, I'll tell you what I have heard. Um, I have heard there's an idea about playing all games at Forsyth Bar. So you play two games on a Friday night, two games on a Saturday night, and they would fly. Obviously, no one's going to the games, but they'll fly and fly out the chart of the flights. And they'll do two games each and then each, you know, one buy per week. Um, and the main reason they, they want to do that is because, you know, there's a shit ton of coaches and players and whatnot all want to get paid. So um, the ability just to create some, some TV revenue. But... Fucking North, North Island versus South Island. I think my uncle played in one of those back. Those were like the big games, eh? That was, that was legit. Yeah. They wrapped them up in like 86, I think. And up yeah. until that point, I'd played 80 of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was, because uh, we're talking to Joshy Cronfeld about it on the show the other day. And he goes, it was about your first NPC team that you played for, not your club team. Oh. So where you made your NPC debut would be where it would be right. um, determined. So he's from, so he grew up in Hawke's Bay, played all of his, everything up to when he made NPC, but then made NPC in Otago. So he'd be playing for the South. I was like, would you feel bad about playing for the South when you're actually from the North? And he's like, they're the team that gave you a break. They're the yeah, team yeah. that signed you up. They're the team right. that molded yeah. you into the player that you are. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, but everyone's like, oh, if, I think Foxy did a, oh, someone did a breakdown of what the teams would look like. And the South Island would get fucking pumped. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> hey, the, the amount of kids that come out of fielding, uh, Hawks Bay, those, like the whole Whitelock family, Aaron Major, all this, I don't know what they're doing fielding, but actually, I do know what they're doing fielding. It's the Whitelock's old man coached about seven or eight All Blacks or something. But um, yeah, it'd be nuts. Oh, man, I'm just, I just want to see something. I was gutted they cancelled yeah. UFC. My, I'm even into the e racing. I don't know if you watch into V8s and stuff, but I've watched, been watching Kidding on the e racing yeah. stuff. I like just something to fucking entertain. But well, I was I was chatting with Mitchy um, Mitchy Evans, and he's setting up to race oh, at home. Is he? He's yeah. So they there's a massive esports um, massive esports collaborative that are that have basically taken over. Same thing like the like all the basketball, the yep. uh, FIFA, all that. Yep. Shit. Let's look at the E League that, that does that. But mate, we talked about uh we talked about getting computer versus computer. I talked to Krista at PlayStation about this, of getting uh the new footy game and then the NRL game to play computer versus computer oh. so you don't know the outcome and you just play twenty minute halves and it's commentated and you just sit there watching it like it's a normal game. Because the it's pretty classic. Cool. We just need to see that. So you know what they're doing with boxing. So old um, Floyd Mayweather, they've, they've simulated him and then they put all this data into this computer and they're going to create a, like Floyd, Floyd Mayweather versus like Jack Dempsey or whoever, whoever it was back in the day, Rocco Marciano, his weight class. And there's going to be like this fight, a computer fight of Floyd Mayweather versus someone from what, 50 years ago. And they reckon they, could, they, they should have it ready in about three months' time. Freaking insane, eh? Just different. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is too that people people forget that if you go to a if you go to an English Premier League game, it's not about the team. Like we sat behind this guy at the Warriors one time as a pom, and it was great as a leveler. And obviously, I'm, I'm Warriors just in the most I'm in the most abusive relationship with the Vodafone Warriors. I love them. I hate them. it's it's, it's tough. Um, I broke but, up with him years ago. 
Nah, that's the thing. You just never want. You know, they're going to come. Right, obviously, oh, yeah, I'll give it. It won't be. It won't be this season. But the um, this guy that was sitting in front of us, we, like, there's a bunch of us. I had six season passes, so I'd, me and the boys would go every weekend, and we'd just turn up, and we could be ahead by three thousand points, and in the last fifteen minutes, we'd just let it slide away somehow, and yeah. it would all fall apart, and we blew up. And this pommy dude turned around to us, and he goes. I come from supporting a fourth division uh, Premier League team that that my father supported, like four generations basically yep. supporting. Do you know how many times we've? Do you know how many times we've won? And we're like, I don't know, we're fourth division Premier League. I don't know, grand final can't be that hard. And he's like, not grand final. I mean, won games. And we're like, fuck, I don't know, hundreds. Yep. And he goes, four times, four times in four generations they've won a game. And you, when they win, the whole town just shuts down and they party and it's just a massive carry-on. He's like, your team is your team regardless. Yeah, there's no and when they win, yeah. mate, she's fucking special. Have you watched Sunderland Till I Die, the Netflix documentary? No, I've seen it sitting there, right? <sighs> Fuck, it's a car crash, Bubbling. It, 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 so the, the, the yarn goes that they were like, cool, we'll do this documentary because they're definitely going to get back up into the Premier League because they've got this... Yeah, they signed these dudes. That's going to be, and it's just a car crash of a season. Like they completely shit the bed, and and they did another season. Like it was that good. Like it's um, but the same thing. You know, they've got. It's like they hate them, but they turn up every week. You know, they'll cheer them on, and then you know they'll they'll fucking bottle or stab someone if they you know didn't like them or or argued with them. It's it's fascinating, but it's that that's that culture in it, and we just seem to. Mm. It shits me chronically that we just won't go to sporting events and support. Um, yeah, franchises or like, yeah, you know, it's it's even good luck turning on the lights. Like turning on the lights at Mount Smart is, like turning on the lights at Eden Park's a hundred grand operation. Yeah. And if you take uh, if you take that somewhere else, like Wellington or Forsyth Bar or whatever it is, it's Oval, like baby. twenty. Yeah, mate, Bay Oval, get there. Uh, it's dramatically cheaper. And yep. so hopefully this will kind of encourage people to get in and around it. Like the Blues as a franchise will be the toughest one to be at the helm of because it's just a city. It's a city of 1.2 million people that don't give a fuck about anything. Yeah. And let alone supporting a footy team. Yep. It's, it's gone to the, gone to those days. I reckon that if you look at the likes of when a good buddy of mine, Louis Brown was playing for, uh, he followed Cleary to um, Penrith. Yep. And he, like we went, it's like, Went and stayed with him and went out and watched him play a game out there. Penrith is a shithole. Like, it is a bona fide, absolute shithole. Like, worst place in New Zealand doesn't come close to Penrith. It's a shithole. But what they've got out there is a leagues club. And the leagues club's across the road from the footy stadium. And it's the centre of the town. So... If you go to the Penrith Leagues Club, what like everyone does, yep. kids turn up. There's a there's like a cable wakeboard park out the back of it. Like it's <laughs> it's hectic. They got like how many pokies have they got though? Probably mate, like seven thousand. Yeah, oh, mate, like truckloads. They they've got bars. They've got yeah. restaurants. They've got everything yeah. that goes with it, and it all tips back in. And that's what funds. And the stadium itself is great, and the the humans are interesting. Yeah, but they turn up, and it's packed. And look at the well, and that's what we miss. There's nothing. There's nothing that compares to that. Like, where do you where do you go? Like Eden Park is just a shitter. It's just it just needs to be folded and turned into some shitty one bedroom 
apartments like everything else in, in Auckland, you know? Since, since I've had half a bottle of wine, you know what pisses me off the most? Is these, and um, I feel sorry for the Warriors because there's more people that get out of bed than watch the state of origin and own a Blues jersey or a Queensland jersey and I'm Queensland till I die and this shit. I'm like, you're not from Australia. It happens two or three times a year. Where are you every week when the poor old Warriors play? Oh, yeah. it drives me insane. And like you turn up to footy training, we're a rugby union club and we're having state of origin night. And I'm going, how, the, how is this a thing? Like, what the fuck has happened culturally? That yeah. Just try and well, if, I reckon that because someone's I'm Queensland, same thing. That's why yeah, we're going to get on. I was, to, I, was, I, was to, I was about to finish up this chat. <laughs> we just started the state of origin, but it's I don't even know how it came about. Like you support the All Blacks, and you're either Queensland or you're New South Wales, yeah. and everyone's like, "You're such a fucking bandwagoner." It's like if you go back through my lineage from mid '80s to early '90s, we got Wang. pumped. We got and pumped like we didn't win shit, and it. It's only in the recent years. And now that power shift has changed again. And it's the best. And that's why I think that North versus South union game of just pride for your club. Like, and I'm not saying that it's missing in super rugby because the boys go out there and smash and, and, and have at it. But I, like there is nothing like state of origin. Like no. there's a, there's a huge amount of, we'll put it this way. There's no one saying there's no, because it's not the same franchise. It's not the same brand. No one's worried about a, a state of origin player not making the Australian team for World Cup. Yeah. No one. Like, not a single person. Like, you go out there and fucking become a tetraplegic on the origin paddock and you'll be a hero. For life, yeah. And in Union, don't hit Bodie because he's going to carry us through a World Cup is the mentality. And I understand that. It's about player safety. Yeah. But the amount that they leave on the paddock for an origin game is just I just think head and shoulders above anything else for any other sporting event, and I'd put anything in it. Like, and that's what makes it so good. Yeah, like they leave nothing. Like they 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 nuts. career end themselves on an Origin fucking jersey. They're like full dead a nation. I, I I know a couple of boys, and um, they like tell me what their pregame ritual was, and it's like I like three needles would numb everything up. They'd be playing with a grade three tear, so they would so say so yeah a tear on the left hand side. Shoulder, so they're playing the right hand side. So there's a tackle with that shoulder for you know the next three four weeks until that shoulder came right. They'll be on taking all sorts of shit, you know. And one of these fellas came back to rugby, and um, one of the boys had like a, a bruised knee, and he's like, "Mate, this is how I found out about it." He was just like, "Mate, I, I played through a fuck for a whole year. I didn't come right until like the next season." He goes, "But you play every week. You just don't fucking. This is the way it is." <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that that's I'm not saying that that's right. Like Good thing, Richie McCaws, not in a in a full professor Professor Xavier wheelchair at, at the moment is just fucking mind boggling. I reckon that as soon as he stops running three marathons a day, he's going to be in a world of hurt. Oh, he 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 might have some special he might have some special blood that fella. He he's uh, oh, he's a bit different, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. the um and and Jim. Who I've grew up with same town. They might oh, really? have been okay. St Mary's kids. Yeah. Oh, she's St Mary's girl, is she? I'm I'm pretty sure. So I went yep. to teachers' college with her mum. Yep. Um, and school with her brother. Know her through the mixer, um, and she is like if you think if you think Richie's like his mentally steeled, Jim is like a level above. Like, yep. she's just and. 
fucking high level operator. She is a weapon. Well, you'd have to be to be with Richard McCourt, right? You, if you, like, he's on another level. So you would need to be, you know, pa- at least par with this fella to probably even understand what's going through his brain. Because what he's thinking is completely different to what, you know, what was happening in the room. Mm. I mean, he's just. You know, he's, you know, he's in a band, uh, so he's in. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's an interesting good. band. So, mate, so he plays drums in a band, and um, and so he practices, and obviously everything he does is incredible. Yeah. And they had, and this is this is inside a chat. They had this. Um, they had their big debut where they were going to play to a live audience, and they were going to play at the uh, the Openaki. Hub, the, the, the big tavern there yep. and then everyone kind of got wind of it that it was going to be Richie so kind of all imploded it's him and three of his mates that are like they're obviously the talent um, but the, the one song that he can play is Wagon Wheel and I think oh, if you listen to Wagon Wheel there is no song. fucking drums in Wagon Wheel it's <laughs> a good song though <laughs> yeah you know I, yeah, it's, I uh <laughs> Yeah, you just, I mean, yeah, obviously you're good mates with Ali Williams and those guys are so, um, oh, the, just the, like the stories and the fun and the, you know, just mm. everything they come with and bring. And I love Richie McCourt, but if you're going to be locked in a room for, if you're in isolation, Probably wouldn't choose Richie McCord to be in isolation with, I think. I think you'd probably go yeah. nine out of ten Ali Williams or Dan Carter, probably nine days of the week. Nine out of ten, you go Ali, get yourself in trouble, get caught. Nine out of ten with DC, get in trouble, not get, get off. Caught. Yeah, get off. <laughs> <laughs> big ho, um, that's a good childhood friend of mine, Jared Huada. Um, he was when he made the ABs fold, uh, he got a week of rooming with Richie and a week of rooming with Brad Thorne. And we had Brad Thorne's hosts in our room. Yeah. And there is not a single human in the world that is a bigger fan of Brad Thorne than Jared Hoyata. Um, and he was like, I could care less about this cat. Just the fact that I got to room with Brad Thorne and talk about all this old league shit. Yeah. And Brad's obviously in a, in a rugby environment, so he's not getting it. And there's this, they're from the same cloth. Like they, are, they are hard and they enforce and yeah. they have passion. And then he's, he's, in the, he's, in, in the, he's sitting in the room with Richie and Richie's flicking through a glider magazine and Jared turns the TV on and he just looks at him and goes, turn on. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck, man, it's magazine. been a long week. Oh, yeah. can you imagine? It'd be like the, one of those cross-trail running magazines or something like that. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Izzy Dag's got a good chat about how him and someone, I can't remember who it was, had a bet. It was like a swimming race and they're staying at the Heritage. And Izzy was like, I'll bet you a thousand bucks that I'll bet you. And whoever he raced, he lost. And they hopped into a hopped into an elevator and there's like five of them in there. And I think it was, um, might have been Woody, <laughs> might have been Woody and Richie and Izzy and whoever he was racing and, and Richie said to them, I've been there, obviously the, the role model and then the father figure in the whole team. This is early doors. Um, he lost a thousand bucks in this bet. And he goes, well, you know, that's just a silly way to spend your money. It's just a waste of money. And Izzy jokingly said to him, 
Oh, what would you spend it on? A, a fucking pro- a propeller for your airplanes or something like something like something like real smart ass and ruthless. And and he pretty much he and he goes. I carried water and fucking <laughs> and made lunches for like a month after that. Like I just, I just fucked with the mafia boss and got done. Yeah. Like we were in Las Vegas of all places, and we were trying to get into uh, like a nightclub or something. And there's two different Rhino. Carry on. No, well, actually, sapphires. Okay. No, well, <clears throat> uh, money. What's Floyd Mayweather's one? Good story about that one. Anyway, there's two dudes having a scum. Yeah, yeah, uh, what the, what's Floyd Mayweather's one? Anyway, um, two fellas, oh, um, I actually met Floyd Mayweather when I was in Vegas. That's a story. He's not a big human. He's not a big human. I was all like backing myself. Mm. We we're actually talking about one of you know if we'd no, he'd keep anyway. So oh, he'd he'd fucking eat you. Oh, he would. He'd eat man. He would. He would. He was very quiet, but he was really nice to us. He's you know obviously from you know, we told him from New Zealand and stuff and. There's a big island boy on the front door and whatnot. And so he sort of said, is there, we said, is there a chance? Because his car was parked outside. So we're like, we'll go in and see. And a fellow that I was with had met him before in there previously. And um, we got the old call up, go out back and get the photo and have a bit of a yarn. And he was pretty low key, but he was, he was sweet. Anywho, digressing. Richard McCaw. So we get to the, Richard McCaw and this other guy, they're having like a scrap with this bouncer out the front. And one of the boys goes, fuck, if you wouldn't think, like walking towards him, that looks exactly like Richard McCaw. And then my mate goes, mate, the fucking, the dude's got fucking added ass on head to toe. I'm pretty sure Richard McCaw wouldn't be like decked out in fucking All Blacks gear in Las Vegas. He'd be trying to take a low key. <laughs> we like roll up. There's like about five of us. And we're like, holy shit, it's Richard McCaw. The boys jump in and like break it up. And we're like, hey, bro, Richie, it's all good. And one of my mates is like filming it. And I'm going, don't fucking film it. And like, don't worry, Richie, it's never going to hit the light of day. And then we get back to New Zealand and my mate like sends it to Andrew Mulligan and goes, bro, put the song crowd goes wild. This is hilarious. Well, I was going to say, I know that exact same trip. I know a couple of blokes who were on it and they're like, fuck, you'd never guess what happened. <laughs> Shit tees off and there's just a, there's a pack of five fucking munted Kiwis that turned up and just saw the whole thing. Yeah. Well, he, that's, he was loving it. Like he was rolling through like no one even knew. Yeah, we talked to him for a little while after that, and he's—I think that's when he was on his little. Uh, I think the sevens one. Yeah, he was just cruising. He was absolutely cruising. But his mates, his mates let him down that night. They were not in good condition. And uh, anyway, anyway. Oh, no, they just—they're the—they're the best and the worst blokes. I, I love them all, and they are. Imagine, imagine being Richie McCaw. Like, who could you be mates with? Like, no one, no one of, no one of sustenance. And that's the thing that's so good about him is that his crew is so good. Like they're, like they're just exactly who you'd want to be mates with. Yeah. But they just get don't get to cut sick like, well, he doesn't get to cut sick like they do. Yeah, they were in. He was. You would think he hadn't even drunk that night. He was pretty. He was well behaved. His mates were in, in chill shape. But, but it would be hard though, wouldn't it? I mean, have you watched the McCaw, the McCaw movie? No, I haven't, and I, 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 I didn't because I just think that. I mean, I, love, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've got a, I've got an insight that you've got an insight too, and I just think that there is, there's a certain amount of it that's, and especially I get, I get it from both sides. I know, I know the players, and I know how production works, and so I know that when they come together. 
there needs to be something to produce. Like, yeah. even when DC goes, I'm wearing a neck brace, I was like, you're making a TV show, asshole. Right. And he's like, fuck up. I was like, yeah. okay, here we go. Yeah. Like that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm not a cynic of it, but I think those people, and it's an incredibly shot film. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I think he's a goat. I think Desi's a goat. Uh, I love those blokes. And that's my era. I'd say that's my era of code. Like that's, yeah. that's where I kind of affiliate with the most, but yeah, it's just, you cannot encapsulate a human like Richie McCaw in a film. You'll never be able to do it because he is not a guy that can be himself whilst filmed. And you, regardless of the number of interviews that you do and the insights that you get from family and the, the, the writing of the, you know, writing on the um, napkin and the, and the Maccas or whatever it was like, it's, it's, I mean, and it's not bullshit, but it's, well, it's true, but it just as there isn't a, there isn't a test. Yeah. There isn't a, it's, it's, it's contrived to a point where he is so much, he is so much more incredible than that. Like you need, if David Attenborough was like climbing into it, I'll be like, fuck, I'm into this, but I'm not going to get it. It's a fully produced piece like that. Look, it's, it's actually really good. And, and they do try really hard to try and break down his psyche. But I bet you, if you ask Richard McCoy, he probably hasn't even watched it. He's that kind of guy. That would be like the worst oh, no, he did. thing in the world for him. He, right, did, right? he, he was, oh, it's the worst thing he could have ever done. Like he, he, that's his worst nightmare. Yeah. But he turned up, he was at the premiere in Auckland. I think I possibly watched it on the way to Japan for the World Cup, which just really set in, set in motion one hell of the, one about, of the biggest benders. Top five. Talk, I've got it written down two. here. Um, Rugby World Cup. Jay's hands shaking while trying to do updates. <laughs> the camera's like all over the place. Look like a good time, pal. Oh, mate. We, um, we, so myself and Dan Dale, um, who became, <laughs> who became the superstar of that trip. And, and this uh, is a Vodafone. Look, this is a sponsored gig, right? Yeah. So this was with the whole, I pitched the idea of connecting, like obviously Vodafone's a connectivity tool. So, they provide a cell network, which means that you can be in touch with anybody whenever you want. Yep. And so when we're in Japan or when people are in Japan, there, there was no chance of actually, because it's kind of so tightly held down, yep. you get media releases, you don't get somebody on the ground giving you what's actually going on. And so I convinced um, with the help of Dandale to, with Vodafone to, to send us over. And we followed the journey of a couple of Vodafone winners uh, because obviously Vodafone's, Yep. focused on sport and obviously and they're back to fucking warriors for that long um and we, and we got over there and it was just it was just i was i said to dan from the get-go i was like this is me and you and he's like this is this isn't me i'm here in a work capacity so he's emailing and doing all of the shit and i'm i'm just ferreting and because he he's good mates with a bunch of the players and i'm good mates with a bunch of the players that we get ourselves into these situations that are not yet, not your traditional. Like if you walk in with a TV camera on your shoulder, people stop you. If you walk in with a phone in your pocket, no one stops you. The difference is, is that the production is exactly the same now. Yep. And that's what you can't get away from. So we managed to, you know, like every single step of the way, it was kind of like we fell into, I think the first night was with, with Desi at, some restaurant with some crazy 
crazy chef and that was a big session and it was a bunch of Aussie lads that were in the mixer as well and then went to the games and obviously the the the, the, um, the loss was niggly but at that point you lose and you've got a week to stay in Japan before playing off a third and fourth you go yeah, in Japan, bro. well let's just snip let's snip the brakes and go and so there was a whole bunch of stuff that was over there like I had mates from, the, from like boarding school that were there yep. and it was Nick D's birthday so there was you know the whole catch ups all over the joint and then sushi market or the, the fish markets and sumo wrestling and but it was just dumb and dumber because he is just as useless as I am when it comes to figuring out the Japanese train system. So it just became this well, massive if, comedy. If you're in the loop, you can't go wrong, right? You just got to get make sure you get off at some stage. Oh, we we would get ourselves into situations that were that fucked that uh, if we were in any other country, it would be scary. Yeah. But because it's Japan and they look after no, you so well, yes, and because yeah, and we had this we had this rule of. If you walk into a restaurant and there's English, then you're not allowed to go in there. So we just end up going into these restaurants and going, <laughs> all right, what are we eating? And then the locals would order for us and they'd be like, well, get this. And they're like, the other ones are like, no, I don't get that. But if we ended up eating eel livers and Did all sorts of random shit, but it was awesome. <laughs> didn't eat the eyeballs. Oh, the, old man, he, the old man coached in Japan for a few years. He had like one of my first dinners, they took me to like one of the, you know the traditional you sit down and stuff they're bringing out all the food and like they came out with their eyeball this eyeball of this fish and they told me that it was like massive disrespect if i didn't eat it and they put it in front of me and i'm looking at my dad and i'm not like the best seafood eater and he's freaking out because the owner of the company's there and he's like freaking probably he's got a samurai sword and so I'm like, like <laughs> looking at it and they was cracking up laughing and oh, like, we would never eat that. No, you know, like they just got the best sense of humor. I'd never met any of these guys. And I would have been yeah. like 18, 19. And then I'd, I spent two or three months there. And then just the whole time I was there, it was just prank after prank. And they've got the greatest 164 million people running like clockwork in a space in oh. the same country as New Zealand. But it just ended up, there was just a flow on effect of, oh, we catch up with the wags and then we catch up with the players that were there and then we do karaoke. And then we went to, one of the boys was the guy that makes uh, our pals, Kurt, who's good mates with Bodie, was there. Yeah, oh, you know, you know, Kurt. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Kurt and Mike. So it was Mike's birthday. Mike's birthday? Yeah, it was Mike's birthday. Brownies. And so, yeah, so Brownie's birthday. So we went to, Wagyu Mafia, which was like a closed dining establishment, and then just to, like drain them of all of their purse, and they loved us. Bodie teed it up because he'd been there, and yep. and it, like and they they they've done incredibly well for themselves, and it was the bill came through, and it was hectic. Like I've never seen a bill like it. I hope Kurt sorted it I, out. Sure he did. I I offered to split it with absolutely zero intention of following through with yeah, my yeah. offer. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm, I'm mortgaging the house if we have to pay for this meal because yeah. we drained them of everything they had. And yeah. Kurt was like, it's Brownie's birthday. This is a tradition and, and swiped it. And it was like, that's what, like, it was just He's an incredible, exceptional, exceptional lad. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And you'd never get it. You'd never get it like that ever again. Like it was just a great bunch of lads. Like, man, we had some fun. The boys were good. Caught up with some other, uh, caught up with some other some of DC's mates. <laughs> just <laughs> the end of the watch. 
they're that bad. Oh, mate. Rapongi wasn't even, like, Rapongi doesn't even hold a candle to the shit that we got up to. It was just uh, awesome. And then yep. ended up after the game, after the AB's game, ended up back at the hotel with them. Yep. With, um, with the boys and, um, yeah, geez, I made an absolute figure myself. It was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And it was and and it was just a moment in time and everyone was gutted. Oh no, we didn't win and we haven't won the World Cup. But you just don't understand what these guys go through and their families go through and what they put up with. And one game didn't go away and as a result of that we yeah. we dipped and we got third and fourth. And they like everyone could look at it and go, Oh, I would have done things differently and of course they would, but when we went to the English uh, like the English when, when the English bet us the guys behind us were English and they were crying like old boys in their 60s were crying like yeah. there was, they go we've like I don't give a shit if we don't win the final we bet the All Blacks and they're the best like they're the gold standard and they are yeah. and regardless of where they come in the World Cup standing they're the gold standard and then South Africa to win was even was even better again because all these rich palms flew over in private jets and it was just scum South Africans that had been there from day one had mortgaged up their houses and had been doing roadside bries and they just absolutely yeah. tonked it. So we got right round the we got right round the South Africans. Obviously, we wanted to be Southern Hemisphere and sure we had some good times. It was hands down the best, the best overseas trip that I've had. Hundred percent best work trip, and I could not do it again because I'd die. And uh, the, the, feedback from, the feedback from Vodafone, they were. You're, you're ready to go. Where's the next World Cup? I don't even know where it is. is it <laughs> Mate, there was there was chat. Viva la France. There was there was chat. <laughs> there was chat that um, because because the Olympics was in Japan, um, Carolyn, who runs the cutter at, at Vodafone, was like, "I'm not saying that I'm inter- incredibly proud of what you guys have done, but in terms of engagement, I've never had anything yeah. like it." Like. Yep. It was, put it this way, it was twice the number of people that follow me on Instagram watched those stories. It was, um, and if I did, FOMO and Dale. if I did, oh mate, and everyone was like, I get hung over after watching your stories and then going to bed. I wish I, wish I could like, that one where you're at the airport and you're like, your head shaking. Oh, I was, trying to say, I'm, I'm on my way back home. I'm barely. <laughs> Holy shit! That I, I'm done. Fucking, that must have been an outstanding trip. Oh, yeah, the good. worst part was, the worst part was, I flew straight back and then hopped on another plane and went to Vanuatu, Rock Island, where I just had another seven-day bender with rock listeners, and then from that landed in New Zealand and then had Sean Johnson stag do for four days. Oh, yeah, so I was man. dead. Yeah, must never again. Never again. Um, can you talk Absolute about Sean, Sean Johnson's stag do? Can you talk about that? Uh, it was pretty mellow. Was it? Yeah. yeah pretty yeah. pretty wholesome, you know, a bit of yoga. Bit of, um, bit of, um, yeah, bit of, uh, carver. Yeah, we, that no, was, mate, it was mega. And his, and, and him and Kayla's wedding was awesome too. Oh, the, you know, the best thing about Sean is that, um, I met him through Louis, early doors, and yep. he's got a he's got a group of mates, and this is a testament for me as a human being. If you're still mates with the the crew that you grew up with when you're sort of seven, eight, nine, yeah. and that's and that's your friend group when you're at that level of superstardom, but and that's like it's not anything other than that. Like his mates that he has now are still his mates from primary school and high school. Yeah. 
Like there was a couple of boys that, that played that were on it, a couple of AVs, but the majority of the boys were all his mates from up on the coast. That's pretty And cool. they're epic. They're yeah. epic lads. I've never laughed. I've never laughed harder in my life. On the last night of the stag do, I got myself into such a situation where I thought I was going to have a cardiac arrest, but this is obviously <laughs> the end of almost a month-long bender. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I was I was in absolute tatters, and it was the it is hands down the funniest time I've ever had in my life. Like I've I've never seen that many blokes broken from laughing. It was hilarious. Yeah, he's a legend. I love him. He's got a shit haircut, but he's a legend. The the culture like the times I'm I laugh the most is when I'm with my like PI PI mates and um, just their ability to find humour at the like the most timely of times in funerals and in terrible situations, like they just have uh, an amazing sense of timing and um, then you throw in some alcohol and some other things and they just like fucking amplified 500 times. And I, yeah. I just don't laugh. And they just, as a culture as well, they laugh way more than we do. Um, yeah. Well, they're just forever smiling and that's, yeah. It's one of those things that's come out of this whole COVID thing, just to go full circle back into it. Uh, as I wrap up for about the thirtieth piss of this chat, um, yeah. is that you? The biggest thing, the biggest compromise to your immune system is stress, and stress comes in various different forms. And as a result of what I've done and what I've learned over my years, is that I'm only in control of how much stress I take on and how much I can deal. So if you don't want more stress, then don't take on more shit. And the other way of dealing with it is to laugh. And laughing gets out like 50% stress. And then the other 50% can be taken out by breathing, which costs you fucking nothing. And if you really want to just build yourself some shit in the bank account, then do some cold showers with some fucking ice baths and put yourself in the green for a bit. We're doing a Monday morning, we're doing an ice bath with Nigel Beach. He's doing an online tutorial i'll be loading up the bath and, and jumping in it so it has to be once a week for me otherwise i don't feel right you, sorry, or you like to, i don't feel as good as i can be you have to do the cold bath once a week to feel feel better is that what you're saying yeah i haven't had a warm shower in the morning for oh, so you do probably do over a year now okay so you do the wim hof showers every morning yep. For, yep yep so i do the breathing every morning showers every morning and then yep. once a week in the ice yeah and you are you still on the are you still fasting do you still do an if yeah, kind of. They call it they call it intermittent fasting, but most people just call it skipping fucking breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> just that's have, that, yeah, yeah. have a have a coffee. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I I rate it, mate. Oh, fuck, I wrote down heaps of stuff. I was gonna I was gonna hit you up, but one of the things because um, you look after yourself pretty well, and the Wim Hof stuff, um, you're generally pretty across. Who got you into the Wim Hof? I mean, because you were sort of early days before it became cool on Instagram. What I don't know. I um I met Nigel Beach through, through hot trading plumber from the coast, Logan Dodds. Uh and, and he was he was um he fucking hates that, so I love it. Um he he asked me to come along and it, it, it teed off on a Samsung watch collab thing where he was doing it. And um it was the day after Melbourne Cup and I'd absolutely sent it the night before. So I was in bits when I turned up and met Nige. And then I was living at the Mount at the time. 
yep. and it turned out that he was living like he was on Orkney Road and I was on um, was basically like two streets over from him. And so I said to him, oh, let's link up when we're back. And I just, I just rate Nigel as a human. I think he's an incredible bloke. I think he's incredibly smart. And he's... So what's his background? So he is a physio, but he's also a breath coach. So he's done work with um, everyone from the... Oh, mate, you name it. Like he does all the UFC boys. He does all the NRL teams. He does the ABs. He does... He had he had a relationship with um, Michael Checker, and that got kiboshed by the NZRU. They're like, "Well, you can't sure. talk to them and talk to us." Well, um, just any of those little. And he's just great. He's great. He's a he's he's a physio and an incredible physio, but he's a lot more movement oriented. Movement orientated, um, and and as a result of all of his breath work, he's in this Wim Hof setup. So. He started doing that sort of stuff and then I'd catch up with him at home and do it around at home and then do it yep. at the beach. And and I rate it. I, it's, it's hands down the best thing I've ever done for myself. And I do zero great things for myself, but this is one of the, this is probably the only thing I do for myself. That's great. Like so, it's mega. I rate so, it. So what's your routine? Just tell me what you do. So what every morning I wake up, uh, every morning I wake up and go through the Wim Hof method app and do basically I do three rounds instead of four for breath retention. So do the breathe up. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you do so, but it's basically 30, 30 breaths um, in through your nose, out through your nose. There's like 56 different benefits to breathing nasally than breathing through your mouth. Yep. Um, and if you want to really ramp it up, you can mouth breathe, but there's a certain amount of things that happen in your body. And Nigel's the man to talk you through the science, but Nose breathing is the best. And then, so I do that, do a breath session and then have a cold shower in the morning. For, well, no, I don't know. I don't, literally don't feel the cold now, so it doesn't matter. I just shower so as no, long as I have yes, a shower. There's no, you don't even turn the hot, the tap to hot at all during the, nah, during the shower? Just smack it right around onto cold and then just stand underneath it and just turn it straight on and go. Yep. And then once a week, I've got an ice bath. I bought for a hundred bucks off Amazon. And yep. I go up to the BP and I get four bags of salt ice. Yep. And it cost me 22 bucks or something. And then it'd be good. I'll fill up the bath tomorrow night so that on Monday morning it's cold so it can stay overnight and chill down. Because oh. tap, like coming out of the tap, she's a bit it's warmer. Warm. Yep. Been yeah. So give it a bit of overnight chill. Yep. And then what's and your then, routine in that bath? And, and do a breath session and then into the bath. Basically just plunge in and sit in there for anywhere between five and ten. Um and then just same thing, breathe through. It's like literally seven breaths in and out of your nose and you're just in the zone. And so when I go to bed at night too, I do yep. seven, I do seven, seven. So seven seconds in and then seven seconds out. And then there's square breathing as well. So it's kind of like seven, hold for seven, breathe in for seven, hold for seven, breathe out for seven. Yep. And I'll be asleep in like 10 minutes. I'm a bit lazy. I have My, my <clears> mind is... <throat> My mind is literally like a fucking bird's nest during the day, yeah. and this is the only thing that can just unscramble it. I, 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 that's one of my big battles is, is going to sleep at night. And I take like ZMA and all those supplements and stuff, and I try to do the oh, when, you, you know, do magnesium or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magnesium, uh, ZMA, zinc, zinc, magnesium. It's got some B six or D vitamin D or something in there as well. 
and I take the HTP5 and I've got this other thing, like it's a melatonin supplement, like a cocktail stuff. Um, but yeah, that, the only thing, like if I haven't done the old, do I say CrossFit or like, if I haven't lifted heavy, like I, I struggle in the days, I don't do like something strenuous, mm. then I'll just, the guys, I'll wake up in the middle of the night thinking I'm at work. Well, I'll be just, Especially when I'm stuck. Yeah. Actually, that's one of the things I struggle with big time. It's just been in one room for eight, nine hours a day. It's been really hard. Um, and so I've had to like force myself to go and do things that I wouldn't otherwise do. Otherwise, just asleep. Fucking holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and the other the thing for me that fucks me the most is, so I like you know, like I'm, I'm a, I like surfing early in the morning. I like being up early in the morning. Yeah. If I sleep, it's my alarm go off at six. Yeah, I, I had two years of getting up at four o'clock in the morning, so I was like, "Fuck that, I'm done," and then, then brushed it. And so, if I, my alarm goes off at six or six thirty-ish. The kids wake up at there because if I wake up, my kids wake up, so I don't want to get them up early. Um, Jesus, you never want to get the kids up early if that's what I say. No, if you if you hit that snooze button, that forty minutes that you bank off that snooze button will just fuck you for the day. <laughs> so if you don't want to wake up and and then fuck yourself because oh, yeah. it literally oh mate it just you feel so lethargic if you do that how are the twins but yeah, are but they, even, what are they normally what's their sleep cycle like they're good they'll do oh, I put them to bed at seven read them story and they're just out like a light because they just fight and nice scrap really. like Tasmanian devils all day and then um, and then they'll get up uh, Hunter will pretty much guaranteed at about two o'clock in the morning, come upstairs and just randomly give us a hug, yeah, and then go back downstairs. Sweet, for no particular reason other than he just wants to give us a hug in bed. Yep, and doesn't linger, just turns up and just goes, "I want to give you a hug." <laughs> and I'm fucking all about that because yep. yeah, he's it's mega. And then they're up about six six thirty. Yep, and then we're and then we're fucking hammer down, straight from the turtle to the rabbit. And fucking. <laughs> Twins, eh? That's uh, that's the next level. Absolutely next mm. level. How cool would it be to be a twin, though? I had some mates that were twins from the Naki, actually, to the South African fellas. And they were like... Not Barry and Neil. Barry and Neil Meyer, absolutely. <laughs> oh, Neil's, up, Neil's just up the line, up the road and the mountain now. But I oh, just... Like, they just had... They could just look at each other and, you know, communicate. It's just... Fuck, it was yeah. weird. Mate, he was... He was um, Barry and Neil's dad was my... Or our under fifteen coach. Oh well, no way, Hans. Right. Yeah, Hansy. and he he was fucking ruthless. Yeah, and and like he'd have us munching cloves of garlic, going into scrums at like under fifteen tournaments, yeah. and yeah. he's like, if someone's fingers are on the ball, just be in the back, they like, <laughs> pop, like just don't fuck around. And he was mega, and we had an epic team. Like mate, we had a, that was Jimmy Gopith was our first five. Yeah. Uh, I was running one side of the. Um, who, I don't even know anyone else that came out of that team that was actually any. James Annabelle, was it? Yep, yep. Mole yep. was in the front Mole. row. Yeah, he yep. was our hooker. Yep. Um, but yeah, it was a fuck. And, and Mole was like thirteen in our under fifteen team. <laughs> you have a fucking size of him. Oh, he's yeah. been, he's best mates with the brother-in-law, so it's all like full circle. So um, uh, he's gone. He's gone well. You should if you ever want a good chat. Well. Oh, he's he's if you ever want a good chat. He's coming. Have a, have, have a chat to um, ask him. Ask him about the seed funding of his business. Who seed funded it, 
and what the return was on that seed fund. I don't know if you were talking about that openly. I don't know if you were talking about that openly. Um, but yeah, Mole's, he's done incredibly well. He has, and um, he he yeah, he's definitely going to do one. He, his best mate's the brother-in-law, and so I've, he when he moved on to play footy, I sort of was end up training with him for a bit, and um, I think a few people underestimated just how sharp. That rooster is a uh, he's he's done awesome all right. I was fortunate enough to be his celebrant about a year or so ago. Um, yeah, he's he's slick. That wedding looks sick too. Oh, it was pretty cool. It was very cool. I actually, yeah. um, I learned some French and um, I'm generally pretty good. Like for weddings, um, w- when there's lots of people there, I know I generally get pretty nervous if there's because I don't really do weddings that I don't know, you know, but that one I knew lots of people there. And I was speaking French. Well, the first half of it was all in French. I didn't know any French. So I learned it for that wedding. I was, Jesus fucking Christ. I was shitting bricks. Sweating like, you know, how you sweat, like the sweat stains of your shirt and stuff. And I was like trying to pull oh, my man, coat I'm over. Heavy and, oh, it was horrendous. It was, yeah. But I'm, I was glad I did it in the end because he obviously married. A lovely French lady, Fanny. So, um, but I was glad I did it. And but the front row, so the Fanny's family sat in the front row, and then yeah, I was yeah. sort of like looking at them to see, and they were all pissing themselves. So absolutely, like I shat the bed completely. But they really appreciate the effort. But um, you know, definitely, definitely, definitely want to get my on. But oh, so you yeah, back to the Myers and the and the twin. But going back to the twins though. But don't you? I sort of envy them a little bit. Like, how cool to be because you got a best mate for life, effectively, right? Every day. Oh mate, that, and, uh, and they are best mates, worst enemies. That's the, that's the whole scenario that they're running. Yeah, um, best mates, worst enemies, and they and they're epic together. But like they're a great team. Yeah. Have you got another ten dollars? Well, anything? Well, definitely the gym. Yeah. Yeah, the gym's still chilling. Mate, the Pals has gone nuts. A Leon Rouge, whatever. Yeah, it has. It's the Pals has gone the Pals has gone real good. It's um they're gonna be pretty warm. Thanks for the um Thanks, red dye in the bathroom. It's gone great with something that's, Yeah. Um JP said thanks for the red dye in the bath tip. Yeah. Well how is it? Sweet. This semi nude woman on hey. house party. Um Yeah, so the that's right. Um the the pousing was kind of obviously a, a, a kick on for Master of Ceremonies, which is their wine company, and it's the same crew, me, myself, uh Anna, Matt Crowd and Nick Marshall. Nick Marshall's CEO and just chief fucking boss man. And it just mate, we what we thought we'd move through in a year, we dusted in like four weeks. Yeah. So it just fucked everything. Supply chain was just an absolute it was pandemonium. Yep. And we've scrambled, we're six months in now and we're scrambling to keep up, but the support from support from consumers is been absolutely uh, it's just been poked. Like phenomenal. Gangish. Like it's real it's real tribe, it's one of those things that would not really ever compare ourselves to anyone, but um, it's it's almost I think, and this is my personal opinion, that it's it's gotten real tribalist, and that people go, "Well, you're either a part-time Rangers drinker or you're a Powers drinker." 
And there's just two massive differences in the businesses and they're just two completely separate products within the same range. And the part, the part-time rangers that have done just such an epic job, like two young lads that fucking absolutely smashed it out of the park. Like they are and will be forever seen as, as world leaders in terms of what they've done and what they've stood for and conscious drinking and a movement, like all that shit's just mega. Like I rate it hugely rate it. Um, and then what we did was, uh, I guess not, not even a reaction to that, but it was kind of like trying to find that, that common ground in between something like a, something like part-time rangers and something like long white. The long whites just sugar yeah, laden and it's a smear and, sort of it, yeah, and, yeah. and eat and 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 the reason that they're the biggest part of the pie, like they're a sixty five million dollar business annually. Like they are the best at what they do. They're monsters. And then part time ranges has zero sugar in it and I've got a an element of you know, providing for rhinos and elephants and sharks and that's all good shit. Uh, And we sit somewhere in the middle, I think, where we're not zero sugar, we have 1.1 grams or less per 100 mils. Just, I think, I think ours tastes better um, because our our sugar content comes from apple juice. And as a result of that, I think the the mass, the masses have kind of cottoned onto it and gone, as much as I'd love to, save a rhino or an elephant or whatever it is that's that's going on here i just want to drink piss that tastes good and is actually better for me um and so the process of obviously you, you did the rosés and you've even got a pinot i'm sure i've had your pinot you've got a pinot yeah. as well, eh? oh, yeah we've got a central otago pinot just chilling here master of ceremonies it's a good drop um obviously big difference like in terms of packaging mm. brewing how was this like a pivot or was this a should give this a go? And then obviously it's completely different. right? Yeah. So how, how, how yeah. It was, um, well, it was kind of randomly. We, we came to, we were looking at doing a rosé spritzer, which was going to be a canned rosé spritzer. Yep. And so we went to some food technologists and we basically hit the jackpot with the guy that we've got. He's a, he is a legitimate genius, like proper oh. legitimate genius. Yeah. And the reason why there is a company that makes $65 million a year off that same, that line. And so by managing to engage him with our company, he was like, there's room to move here and um, we can make, we can make things better and more tasty and, uh, and there's good margin. So with, with wines to say, for example, to use the, this is our Pinot, this is a central Otago Pinot and it comes from, and I can say without saying, so there is a certain amount of spill that happens in a in a vintage. Yep. That same bottle here, this same bottle here, you can buy from the uh, the vineyard for sixty five dollars a bottle. Yep. We can buy ours for thirty dollars a bottle. Our yep. bottles ran off the back of theirs, yep. and they had I think it was like eighty five thousand liters of spill or something similar to that, and, and we managed to bottle it up, and it's delicious. That's and so deal. that is a ninety. 90 um, out of 100 every day. Yeah. It's mega. It's delicious. But the that that takes uh, so much time, effort. It's seasonal. It's 
everything everything depends on that you know like there's there's a lot of variance in that whereas this is have your alcohol base have your ingredients and you can and tonka it out from there and and we use well a lot of people that a lot of people that drink uh ready to drink drinks or in particular part-time which is power fuck whatever it is is there's ethanol that's the alcohol base in which you're drinking so this is ethanol which is your it's a race fuel it's it's the purest form of alcohol that you can get and you yep. can get that from a series of different places so yep. you can get it from grain or you can get it from uh byproduct of uh, whey protein or you can get it from sugar cane and so we get ours from sugar cane um, a lot of the other ones and i'd say a majority of the other uh, products in market get theirs from a whey protein byproduct so fonterra whether people know it or not are the biggest piss sellers in new zealand yeah didn't know that yeah, so they sell more booze than anyone else in New Zealand. So they're just selling pure ethanol to the line Nathans and the, the big boys to mix up their stuff. Yeah, so if you are vegan, if you're a vegan, and I'm not saying that this is, but it, it, for argument's sake, if you're vegan, buying part-time rangers, thinking you're helping animals because you're vegan, you're effectively drinking an animal product, but that's not disclosed to you. Yeah. So we're vegan-friendly because we are from a sugar cane. Um, but at the end of the day, you're selling piss, and anyone that tries to take a high horse on selling piss is <laughs> like an asshole. It, it, so, what was the the thought process? Was it obviously the gap in the market? Something you want to do differently? You weren't happy with your yeah, but gap in the market. Oh, gap in the market, faster turnaround, yep. um, on trend, something that like. Obviously, I want to, like, mate, we're in the same age bracket. I could drink, I could spend a whole summer smashing piss and then absolutely ruining myself and end up yeah. coming out of that like five, 10 kilos heavier. Yeah. Or this is the first summer I've had on powers and I've come out underweight than what I go in. Yeah. Like, it's just, there's just no sugar in it. Like, yeah. you don't get the same sort of effects. And then all my mates that are tradies at the mount gone the same way. They're buying pallets. And as a result of that, they're going good. Yeah, slimmed up. Yeah, the old. Uh, it's hard. To, well, down here, I was saying to you the other day, it's hard to get, like, because it is that popular. Mm. And um, the fellow who normally has it, Raj, down the road, he's been closed during lockdown because his wife uh, is susceptible to uh, respiratory disease. So yeah, Raj is good on sitting, on, sitting on a few boxes of powers that we can't get our hands on at the moment. But um, yeah, it's that's it, nuts, eh? And part of the so like the social thing, like watching social media over that new year's Christmas period was just like, bang, pals, 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 pals. It was yeah. Nice. Well, what, it was a weird one too, because, and I've spoken about it before, like I've got real issues, oh, not real issues, but like, I love the fact that people, people buy a product and they enjoy it and they yeah. share it with us. But there's, there's something more than, than going, here's a selfie holding this can. It's <laughs> kind of like, and at the moment, that's all they can do because they're not allowed to hang out with anyone else. But I'd love to see a Zoom or a house party with 10 faces on it and they're all holding a power as opposed to one person taking a selfie with a power because yeah. an alcoholic drink is never going to be your mate. Yeah, It's about it's a social lubricant for a greater stimulus and a, and a conversation with a great group of people. Yeah. And that's it's become a branding piece and almost like a turf war. And I 
I've got issues with it, but I just don't see the value or merit in it. I'd much rather see people just, just, but the whole point of, I don't know, it's just drinking to socialize as opposed to socializing to drink. Well, and that's been, look at the part of this whole lockdown thing and, and that emotional, like emotional eating, right. But also emotional drinking and shit, you know, I'm in lockdown. I need to drink. And, um, yeah, I'll be honest, man, I've probably drunk a bit more than I usually do, uh, during this period. Mm. So it's a little bit of a a mind shift as well. And maybe culturally something that, you know, but I, I I reckon I've, I reckon I've drunken less because I've been more mate. I'm, I'm a classic one's too many. 50 is not enough like i'm the yeah like i'm the i'm the guy that would be really pumped to, like i look forward to being this like i look forward to just going okay cool we've got three days locked out with the boys and we're gonna go yeah. and, and and that's not necessarily that's definitely we all know that's not great at all but i get excited by the, the concept of catching up with people and going through that and it's a yeah. bit of a battle when i see it as a test match and i like that sort of stuff and I was, I didn't want to fall into that. Yeah. Obviously, I had work as well, but and for me, life is pretty much business as usual. But I just think that if we change our attitude towards everything at the moment, we can reset. And I think that, like for me, coming out of this, I'm looking forward to not drinking so much and drinking less when I do drink because. I want to go out spearfishing or I want to go out surfing in the morning. I don't want to be losing my mornings to my nights. Absolutely. And that's just my personal, that's just my personal setup. So, you know, and, and no one's any, everyone's on their own ship, which is kind of cool. But if you, if you just buried yourself for four weeks of bending, like you're not going to come out of this in a shape that you need to be to deal with what's coming out of the other side of this COVID-19 lockdown. Like it's not going to be pretty for you. No, not at all. And, and you know, part of coming out of this is, you know, well, we talked about it earlier, right? But um, it is an opportunity to do some cool things and to achieve some stuff. And you don't have to come out looking like freaking Van Damme or, or anything like that. But like you say, getting up in the morning, doing stuff for the kids, not being hungover, actually having that opportunity to have that time. Mm. Fuck, this is once in a lifetime opportunity. Hopefully it's once in a lifetime. Um, it's, it's, for me, it's, a, it's 15 minutes is what I set aside for breathing. If you can't give yourself 15 minutes, then you are fucking yourself over. That's the way I look at it. Yep. You can't give yourself 15 minutes to breathe in an entire day. Yep. 24 hours, you can't give yourself 15 minutes. And it will make the difference for the remaining time in that day. Yep. And even stretching for me, like I, I really want to be able to put my head on my knees. And that is, mate, I've never been able to, I've barely even been able to touch my toes my entire life. Yeah. And so I'm working towards it. And I'm miles off, mate. Like I am, I'm like two feet away from my head touching my knees at the moment. Like there's just, <laughs> mate, there's fucking not happening. I'm sort of like sitting here in the chair going, fucking I do that. I don't... Mate, have, do you I get, any... I get shooting hammy pains just trying to touch my toes. <laughs> mate, do you do any, uh, do you do any meditation or anything else other than the Wim Hof stuff? Nah, I'm pretty, uh, I guess I operate on a mindfulness level consistently. So I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that scrambled up and I like to unpack shit at the end of the day. The breathing sort of does it for me. Don't really do any form of guided meditation. I mean, I guess I'd like to, because I mean, all that sort of stuff is all, 
is filling the cup back up. But for the most part, I don't have uh, a, I don't have financial pressures. I don't have a shit job. I've got a great relationship with my wife. My kids are awesome. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't worry for a lot of things. Like the only stress that I can create for myself is created by myself. And I understand that I'm incredibly lucky to be in that position. And not a lot of people are in that position. The reason why I don't care for all of those things is because I'm just fucking content. Like I'm 37 and I've got, I've remember when you dreamed about the shit that you've got right now. Like, remember, like, Imagine, like I remember, imagine if you could own a fucking Harley Davidson. I've got two of them sitting right next to me. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think that people go, I want to just blast past this mark. And I think if you go back to, what do you want? I want to be happy and healthy. And I want a great relationship with my missus and kids. And I want to be in a place that I call home. And being in a place called home doesn't mean that you need to own that motherfucker because it's just an asset and you're trying to create money out of it. You just need to be in a place that feels like home. Family makes you and, home. Yeah, exactly. So if we lived in a fucking tent, like that's that's my home. Yeah. And so once you get to that point and you kind of you let a bit of that go, and the and the more you can let go, there's a, a buddy of mine, um, uh, South Sambro South from South Design. He um, he was talking about wabasabi, which you'll probably be familiar with being a, a Japanese fanatic. Is that it's the it's the ability to appreciate everything whilst having next to fuck all. And you look around the place, you go, do I need that? Do I need that? Do I need that? Do I need that? Like I'm looking around here now going, oh, I've got two sets of life jackets and kids bikes and all this other stuff. It's kind of like, well, I need that when I go on the boat. So I need to keep that. Yeah. But the reality is the, the, I don't own a boat. Yeah. Um, and my mate who's got a boat's probably got life jackets. So those can, those can fuck off. I've got two motorcycles sitting next to me. Wow. Do I need two motorcycles? I'm going to ride one of them. Yeah. There's another one in a mate's house. I've got, you know, like you just go, if you go through, it's cool to have shit. Don't get me wrong. Like I love having shit. It's fucking awesome. But you just don't need as much as you think you do. And you chase the dragon in terms of like even a car. I started, I had my first car when I started at MTV was a $1,300 Toyota Corolla station wagon. I bought off a massive fan of the old crystal pistol and they had two and a half grand on the window. And I said, I know that you're fucked and need crack money. So here's 700 bucks. And they took it. One thing I've learned is you're a bit of a negotiator, eh? (laughs) And, and that did the same job as any other vehicle I've ever had. Like it's, it just takes me from A to B and people chase this. Like it's great to have nice things and it's great to have the best of everything, but it's just not necessary to be like, if you pin your happiness on having the latest, greatest shit, then you'll never be happy because you know what? Every fucking year there is some more new latest, greatest shit. Have you heard those yarns about people who win gold medals at the Olympics and that's like their dream? And they go, they win the medal, and they stand up on the podium, and they go, "Fuck, this isn't, this is what I thought it was going to be." Mate, I've got a, I've got a bloke that you need to talk to. His name's Carl Williams. He's a three-time world champion in three different sports, and those three sports are uh, sailing, road cycling, and uh, ultra heavyweight Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, and he. Shit. 
he was the youngest. He looks like a fucking gang member. He's covered up to his jawline and tattoos. Yeah. He's a ginormous motherfucker. He was pulled out of school by Sir Peter Blake to join Team New Zealand. He's the youngest wow. ever professional sailor. He's his life story, and he says exactly that. Like he was like, I never did anything on my own. So I was like, fuck it. I'll see if I can become a ultra heavyweight Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion at the Masters Games because now I'm 37 or something. And he tonked it. And he goes, I've never felt more empty standing up on the dais and with a gold medal around my neck. And he gave him eight months. He gave himself eight months to train how to do it <laughs> from nothing to That's gold medal. Control. I'll, I'll put some pressure mm. to put me in touch. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Mm. And it may be, like, as you said earlier, this four weeks at home is to actually appreciate that the, the materialistic things, you can't go and drive your fucking flash car or you, you can't mm. go to, you know, that batch or whatever. It's actually about the quality of your relationships is what is probably number one in life. And um, I hope with anything, that's probably that's the, the piece that's going to come through at the end of, of this, whatever this thing is. Yeah, that's the hitangata, hitangata, hitangata. The people, the people, the people. And that's yeah. fucking all that... That's all that matters. Yeah. Right. So I've kept you for a fucking long time. I'll give you a... That was fun. I enjoyed this. I don't I've... actually feel like it was... You're going to have a shit fest trying to fucking uh, <laughs> chop this thing up, but good luck. <laughs> Oose. Mate, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a... I'll warn you now. I'm hardly going to chop this up at all. Um, mate, oh, one question just, ask you. Just put... Put it in a put it in a uh, put it under the title of just steamed chat with Reeves. That'd be awesome. <laughs> How Clark Gabriel met Jacinda Ardern headline. <laughs> yeah, just mate, a bit I, of clickbait. Actually, I've got a couple. I've got one thing I've got to ask you, my mate. Yes, please. I told my mate, he. Uh, I said, he goes, "What are you up to tonight?" I said, "Oh shit, I'm got a podcast with Jay Reeves." He goes, "Oh shit!" He goes, "Mate," he goes, "One the best thing ever." Ask him about beer in the woods. <laughs> okay so bear in the woods <laughs> you know about bear in the woods well i do now because he told me about it well br- yeah, very, so briefly, very briefly bear in the woods so bear in the woods was um it was a Tauranga boys college Tauranga girls college uh traditional fixture which had been happening for a number number of years and basically what would happen is there would be a seven former that would enlist the help of a six former who would then see the process through of this end of year party where it would be in a isolated generally like a rural setting like it'd be on a farm okay uh and it would be everyone would go up and camp and have this big party and and everyone would pay and you'd find out the the, the location in the last few minutes and so i ran it with michael ormsby when I was seventh form or second year sixth form, um, and 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 then you basically hand the chalice on, and it's like a it was like a notebook yeah. that got passed down of like these contacts and how it goes. Mate, we're seventeen, we're not able yeah. to buy piss. No, yeah. So there's always like these 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 weird old guys that were in this book that'd be like, "Well, I'll sort the kegs out for you if you give me a couple of bottles of piss." <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so unbeknownst to all the 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 liquor outlets that were providing us with this piss. And then you got these handles that were printed and that was your, that was kind of your keepsake. And it was just a big one night party. And then it was uh, the other schools like uh, Mount College, Otomoto College, Bethlehem College, Kapoki on specific requests that you'd be able to turn up. And they were great. And I, yeah, I got to run it. I got to run it one year. I got to be chaperoned in, I think, as with Barry Parkinson 
Barrell, who's now a teacher at Tauranga Boys College, when he had it at his place. Um, and Dan Goodwin, I think. Dan, fuck Goodwin's like captain of the first 15. Oh, no, he's not a captain of the first. He was a captain of the first 15, but now he's a coach of the first 15. Great footy player. Um, I think it was him and Barrel that ran the year before me, and then I ran the following year. Yeah, it's great, mate. I miss that sort of stuff. That's a sort of shit, like, people condemn, condemn that. To, like, it's not great. It's frowned upon, but kids are going to drink piss. And if you set the parameters and you set a community in and around it, it's a, a community regulated event. Uh, and it was great and it was outstanding. And then the year after I did it, I think it, the wheels fell off. Oh, um, and the, and the year that, the year that followed it. And I don't know if it's happened again, but I think it was more to do with the fact that the noose was tightening in and around, you know, they'd find out where these things were happening and they'd, was Dan, they'd shut it down. Shit. It was good fun. It was Daniel Cullen that said, Oh shit! Oh, Daniel Cullen. Yeah, Kelly. He's a pig of a human. Yeah, absolutely. And he's still got the he's still got the the mug. The he said he found it the other day. Mm. He goes, mate. He goes, he wouldn't read about it. He goes, I found this mug. Yeah, because it was always the the mug always had Winnie the Pooh tipping a handle or piss down his neck. Yeah. And so I've got one. I thought my sisters have got them. My younger sister doesn't. Yeah, my older sister's got them, and I've got them as well. I took a picture the other day when I was at home, mum and dad's, because I still got them at home. That's from 99 and 2000. Very good. No, great. Mate, next question. You've uh, got to go to a remote island by yourself. You're allowed to take one book, one movie, and one album. Oh, you pig. I knew you were going to ask me this. This is a desert island. This, this is great. Um, one, uh, I would say, I'd say my book could be The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Ooh, I would geez. say, uh, which is a great book. Yeah. Um, I would say my film would well, be. Okay, carry on. No, no, you, you keep going, keep going. Uh, my film would be um, Boondock Saints. Jeez. Uh, that's uh, that's Boondock, intense. Uh, no, nah, that's an ugly one. I'm, it'd be that or a, a Wes Anderson or a Quentin Tarantino. This is where it gets messy. Like, I love this shit, so I'm into it. Is Wes Anderson uh, the horror guy? Is he the scream guy? No. No, nah, he's he's the guy that did um, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Hotel Budapest. And okay. yep. he's, a, he's, a, he's a mad dog. Um, and, and then in terms of albums, oh, man. You could be on the line for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I would say... Albums wise, fuck, mate. I get this is music's a tough one for me because I'm really torn. Uh, and it's about mood, right? It's a little bit about timing. Mood, yeah, it is, and it is. But you can't. It, is. it definitely is. Imagine, fuck. It's like day twenty-two, and you're like, just watch Boondock Saints thirty times. I'm like, these Irish guys are driving me crazy. I just want to remember home. Yeah. Mate, could I get a compilation album and I'll go fucking I Am Sam movie soundtrack. It's all Beatles songs covered by someone else. Oh <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. I'd say that or... You like the Beatles? Maybe... You're a big Beatles man, are you? No, nah, not at all. I just like the artists that cover them. I'd maybe... Oh, fuck, I don't know, bro. That's such a tough Do you like that Weezer album? I was listening to stuff today that I... That Nah, nah, because it's just their same moany fucking voices. I like, 
Aussie's cover, Aussie did a bunch of covers that were great. Like they were yeah. great. Aussie yeah. Osborne's covers were great. Yeah. Oh shit, I don't know, bro. And there's and then there's the oh, um, say 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 some cool iconic album part of me and and my and my radio credential part. And then there's the <laughs> what is the shit that I actually give a fuck about listening to? Like it'll be something. Like, can, I, can I tell you? Cause oh, I'm a, bro. I've always, been, I've pretty much always been a rock listener, and they'll be like shredding the shit out of Nickelback. Like Brass, be like, you know, taking the piss in Nickelback. And next up is Nickelback. <laughs> and I'll be no, like, if you I'm took just... Nickelback, if you took that album to your fucking odd fucking, I'd never talk to you again. It's I just Nickelback remember... is one more you know jo- fact about Nickelback. This is a. This is a fact about Nickelback that'll blow your mind because Nickelback's a Canadian band. Absolutely. Yeah. They are the second most successful band in history in the United States behind the Beatles wow. to date. Wow. That doesn't say, that's stats. That doesn't mean they make great music. No, I just laugh because I'm pretty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the album that I take to a desert island. Two and a half hours. Fuck, we've been going good. We're going two and a half hours. Fuck, what the fuck's the time? Yeah. Um, all right, let's wrap it up and it say. Um, Thank you so much, bro. This, this has been fantastic. Oh, album wise, I really enjoy. Uh, uh, oh, fuck, I couldn't tell you. It's just too tough. Music's too tough for me. It's the toughest. I'll let you off. It's it's it, just, it hurts me so much. And you've had seven of those delicious pals as well. Great drop. Great. It's not bad. A rip through a few. You should probably get on it if you're not. What, what have you got there? Is that the gin? This is the uh, Hawks Bay Lemon Cucumber and Soda. Oh, sounds yeah. absolutely It's a gin. Did you do the own, own voiceover for the, the Powell's drinks? <laughs> we, don't, Matt, we haven't paid for any above the line advertising, so there's no point. Mate, could you just do us a little quick uh, advertisement for Powell's? Drink these with your pals. And remember, these aren't your pals. Your real friends are your pals. <laughs> I feel like you've done it before. Mate, Jamie, mate, this has been Man. awesome, mate. It's been just like a, appreciate uh, you. a bit of a Saturday night. Yeah, and a few beers. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, mm. thank, thank, uh, say thank you to your wife, too, because I've dragged you out on a Saturday night. She's bored as shit. Man, dream scenario for her. <laughs> well, thank you very much, bro. Go Take well. Yeah, you Go too, long. Mate. Yeah, indeed. Look after yourself. Thanks, mate. Cheers, buddy. Peace. Thank you for listening to the JB Talker Show. (laughs) Thank you. Like it up. Appreciate your support. Thanks, Annabelle.
que seja.